For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Red FM. Morning all. A lot of weather-related stories making the papers today. Just as a by the way, the Mirror this morning tells us that Ireland is set to experience the wettest July on record 23 days well, what they call non-stop rain. It wasn't quite non-stop biblical every time you walked outdoor, it was raining. It just means that there was never a day, they're saying, without it. So washout of a month, the wettest on record, uh, which is kind of unfortunate because we had that three-week period that was absolutely glorious and everybody was hoping it would continue. But what happens when it goes to the absolute other extreme? Many of the papers talked this morning about hell on earth as hundreds are fleeing roads, hotels. Now Corfu faces an evacuation too. Wildfires are raging. Holidaymakers are trying to get home. That's the mail this morning. Hell on Earth is the front page of the Star. Irish family saying the holiday island is like a war zone uh, on roads. I'll come back to this in a, in a few minutes' time. Uh, Irish families in emergency shelter, apparently, from the wildfires. You're talking about 30,000 tourists being evacuated from that Greek island alone. And that's the front page you're making this morning's mirror. Escape from hell is the headline in the sun, where Irish tourists are fleeing raging wildfires on the burning island of Rhodes. I think it's a part of the island of Rhodes, as opposed, as opposed, to, as opposed to all it being... All of it being a risk area, but there's about 750 Irish people holidaying on roads as the fire rages, according to the Independent today. And Tui are now cancelling flights to the Greek islands. I believe that both Tui and Ryanair go into uh, roads a few times a week. Uh, so more on that, as I say, in a few minutes' time. Uh, one story, really, that seems to have captured everybody's attention is Stephen Termini from Buffalo, New York, on holiday, beaten by a trio of attackers as he left his accommodation in Dublin city centre on Wednesday night. Talbot Street in Dublin is a no-go area. I was talking about that, talking about it last week on the air. If you're ever up in Dublin, any time of the day or night, that is certainly an area. In fact, if you can avoid O'Connell Street and all that general area, but don't go anywhere near Talbot Street. You're just not safe. Nor was he. He was beaten. Um, and of course, uh, th- one of the papers say that he's in a coma and many are suggesting that he will lose the sight of one eye. He's had life-saving surgery. Um, he saved every penny of his money to uh, fulfil his dream of tracing his Irish roots. Now, his son is coming over they have a, a fundraiser um, which is raising money so the family members, including his son, uh, can come over. The son of the American tourist says uh, he has faith in the Gardaí that they will prosecute all those involved. The Independent this morning tells us that a 14-year-old boy appeared um, uh, at a special sitting, wait for it, of the children's court yesterday, charged with assaulting Stephen Termini. But what do you do with a 14-year-old? I mean, in in what way can you... Um, you know, uh, th- throw the book at them from from the point of view of law and order. They're underage. He's a child, uh, and he's one of a group of them. Uh, apparently, some of it was captured on CCTV. I was reading this morning uh, that they must have said something because he, he kind of wheeled around and went back to them uh, to talk to them. Then a bus passed, and you can't see what happened next on the CCTV. But after the bus passes, you see him on the ground, and they're literally kicking him on the ground. They then drag him around a corner, so he can't, so none of it can be seen uh, on CCTV. Uh, but this is an early arrest, um, and of course, this could be the straw that broke the camel's back. That it would take a tourist and an attack on a tourist for people to finally sit up and say. This is no longer good enough. We don't have enough guardian on our street. We need more guards. We need to pay them properly. We make, need to make the job attractive. 
and we need to get serious on crime like this, particularly young people engaging in crime like this. Uh, there could have been a knife there. There could have been a knife and it could be an entirely worse situation than it already is. But the son has uh, has faith in the Garda probe with a 14-year-old charge. Uh, there's been a drop in Garda in, in that area of Dublin where the tourist was attacked but, attacked, but none of that should surprise us because there's been a drop in Garda, unfortunately, in so many places, many retiring early and a lot of people just not interested in joining the ranks of Angarda Shikona. I think, I think there's a cutoff. Correct me, lads, listen to me right now. But I think you have to be under 35, 35 and under, uh, to um, actually get into Angarda Shikona. I'm open to correction on that. But maybe if that is the case, they want to get rid of that rule. Because there's a lot of fit, able-bodied men and women, well past 35, that might consider. Um, yeah, I think it's 35. That seems daft to me, just... Just saying. Your thoughts are welcome on it. Tragedy on our roads is a story that makes the echo today with 10 people in Cork uh, dead in 2023 alone. And they also talk about road usage. Now, this for me is a typical example of a story that I cannot make any sense out of. They are talking about road usage charges uh, to bring even more hell for motorists because they want less people driving on our roads, commuting long distances but primarily commuting in and out of cities, the likes of your, your Dublin and your, and your Cork. So they're talking about charging different people amounts of money for, for trips. Um, so then there's, a, there's part of the article then says that a typical trip, and I can't work this out, a typical trip from Cork to Dublin would cost €163 Euro under a road usage charge. How? I mean, I read the article and I can't work out how they would come up with the... I mean, are they including the petrol or the diesel or what in this? Like, that's insane that it would cost in taxes or a punitive travel charge, €163 to travel from Cork to Dublin. And is it one way or is it return? I mean, are they, do they all, do they always bunker down in your own town or village and never leave it? Uh, I don't know. Things need shaken up. And that's why the credit union makes the front of the independence today. Yeah, the Irish credit union, because they plan to really attack the mortgage market. And they're saying that in the not too distant future, they want to be one, uh, they want to have one in 10 of all mortgages. And they're going to do it at a low cost with no gimmicks and roll out a national mortgage brand um, where everybody will be treated the same and it will be as low as possible. Um, HAP makes many of the papers today. Uh, the examiner talks about the lack of availability of HAP properties. In fact, um, nine areas around the country have no HAP properties available to rent whatsoever, and one of them is Cork City Centre. So apparently there's only 50 properties available to rent with HAP across the country when they took a look at that uh, for the Irish Examiner. Uh, but there are other properties then that are being uh, refurbed and one of them is out in Balancholic which will take in 94 Ukrainian refugees. It's the Grail Skull Iriordan in Balancholic. Now originally uh, there was a planning for 21 apartments in a four-storey complex in the old Grail Skull but inflation and construction costs and stuff like that, the war in Ukraine um, put that on hold. So instead now they're, they're flipping and, and changing it to uh, taking in uh, 94 Ukrainian refugees. If you talk about things that change, like a Grail Skull to a Ukrainian refugee centre, what about name changes on our streets? Now, the lads were chatting about it here this morning. They were saying that if and when Sinn Féin ever get into power, they will rename every single road or street right across the country uh, to have an Irish connection to it as opposed to British mar- monarchy 
our British aristocracy. Um, so Anglesey Street, uh, apparently they agreed back in April of 2021 to change it to McSweeney Street. It shouldn't surprise us that uh, over two years later, two years and three months later, it still not, has not happened. And they're talking about frustration by our local councillors at the delays at national level, apparently it's not a problem here in Cork. It's a pity we don't have a little bit more autonomy where we could just do that and not to have to get permission uh, from our masters in Dáil Éireann. There's an interesting story of a keg thief. One of the stories in the courts this morning is an echo story where two full kegs of beer uh, worth €450 Euro, stolen from outside the Welcome Inn pub at Parna Place. One of the culprits now has got 10 months jail. Fairly hefty uh, sentence. Um, one chap involved in it had 196 previous convictions uh, for robbery, larceny, burglary, theft. It's all kind of the same thing when you look at it, really, isn't it? But that's a hefty old sentence, isn't it? Uh, Ten months for robbing two kegs. Completely useless unless you got the tap and some way of drinking it. And now you get the beer out of it, but that's another story. And then, of course, uh, Iceland. There are, to my knowledge, no more Iceland stores open in Ireland now. And I hope to come back to this story across uh, the morning, if not this morning, then certainly early in the week. If you are a former employee of Iceland, I would certainly love to either get a text from you or an email. Uh, but ideally, uh, for somebody to come on air and tell us exactly what it's been like, you can text 0868-104-106 on that one. Um, I also want to mention that uh, Barbie and Oppenheimer uh, went on general release uh, over the weekend. And Barbie seems to have been first across the tape. It's beaten Oppenheimer to be crowned as the box office debut winner of North America. $155 million in ticket sales in only a few days. It beat Oppenheimer, which came in at just over $80 million. But even at that, both films have seriously surpassed expectations. There's that and lots more besides. One or two other colour stories, which I don't know, has anybody timed the green man at pedestrian traffic lights here in Ireland. Uh, I don't know what the time is. Does anybody listening, you might do it for me. Tell me how long the green man is actually on and flashing before it turns to red. Because apparently in the UK, it's 6.1 seconds. Now, you want to be an Olympic sprinter to get across in 6.1 seconds, particularly if you have to go across two aisles, two lanes. But it's... um, it's a story that makes the mirror today out of the UK because they're going to leave the green man on for an extra second. Apparently pedestrians are getting slower by all accounts. Uh, it's to give ageing and increasingly overweight people time to cross the road. So it will go from 6.1 seconds to 7.3 seconds. Why, why the point one and the point three? Why can't they just round it off? to 10 seconds or 15 seconds. But what is it here? I mean, if it's 6.1 seconds to cross the road in the UK, I would imagine it's got to be longer here to get across the road. <laughs> anyway, mullets are back in fashion, apparently. Um, much maligned, but apparently the hairdressers are now saying that more and more people, assuming men, correct me if I'm wrong, you know the Tiger King, Joe Exotic, he was probably the one that was responsible for bringing back the mullet. But according to um, the uh, hairdressers that we're talking today, that they're getting twice as many requests in the past month alone for mullets. Um, to mullet wearers out there, you're very much back in vogue. And I love this little story. Um, it has to do with Michelin star restaurants. Some of them can be great. Others are just completely overrated. You'll come out hungry and you'll spend shed loads of money 
uh, for the privilege or indeed for the pleasure. Uh, but apparently the UK, that's me talking incidentally, the UK Times is saying that Michelin star restaurants are finding more people dining alone, dining solo. Um, and one of the main reasons apparently why people like to go out and dine solo is that they parents who want some time to themselves and away from the kids. I imagine you could also say that about partners, a husband or a wife that would like some time alone. Um, <laughs> there would be more cost-effective ways of doing it than going to a Michelin-star restaurant, I would have thought. The number one talk show in Cork. If it's happening in Cork, Neil is talking about it. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Okay, um, uh, to holidays, and we were talking an awful lot about Spain recently. We were talking an awful lot about Italy recently. Talking an awful lot about Greece recently uh, and Turkey and the raging heat. But very much front and centre now is the island of Rhodes, where there are at least 750 Irish people holidaying on roads as the fire rages on. You can be sure that there's Cork people amongst them. Uh, I just wanted to get a handle on what's going on in roads because they're talking about Carfu now as well. I'm curious as to whether there are other places where people's lives are at risk. And Paul Hackett is the president of the Irish Travel Agents Association, took over from the great uh, Pat Dawson and he joins me by phone. Paul, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How bad is it? What's going on and how bad is it, Paul? Well, the Greek authorities have uh, evacuated 19,000 guests from hotels in the south of the island of Rhodes. And they have done so, you know, in in a reasonably ordered fashion, uh, getting them into schools and gymnasiums, not where people want to spend their holidays by any means. No. But, you know, in the context of far as far as they can look back and say, well, for now, there has been no reports of any serious casualties, no reports of deaths. Clearly, there's, there's quite substantial destruction, um, and, and our hearts would go out to people who are, you know, whose residences or businesses are impacted by this. But in terms of the in terms of the tourist piece, Rhodes is quite a large island. It stretches 80 kilometres north to south. The fires are in an area in the south of Rhodes, around Lardos and Kyatori, um, and that has one of the main kind of tourist resorts, an area called Lindos that some of your listeners may be familiar with. Mm -hmm. So hotels within that catchment area have been evacuated. Rhodes Town, the main the main town is in the north of the island, the main port is, is in the north of the island, and the airport is also in the north of the island. And that part of the island is unaffected. So it's the you're north talking you're talking about the north of the island is problematic. No, the south the is south problematic. of the, the island is problematic. Corner. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, yeah. The north it's pretty much business as normal and that's where the main town is, the main airport, the main port. So from from, from an organizational point of view they're in control or they appear to be in control of things at present, in as much as you can control a fire. Okay, okay. And um are people trying to go get home or are, are they happy to, to stay on and, and move to a different location or what's the story with with TUI or Ryanair or people trying to get out of the off the island early? So if we look at roads, Rhodes has two flights per week with Ryanair and two flights per week with TUI. So TUI have a flight going out on Wednesday, so two days from today. And if anybody doesn't wish to travel on that flight, they can cancel and get a full refund or they can have free amendments, free changes to another destination, other dates. It's important that the flights operate. Ryanair will have a flight out there. I think Ryanair flights are on Tuesday and on Saturday to Rhodes. And it's important that these flights operate because the airport is open, all services are working, and people who are on the island 
need to re- who, who are booked to return home will want to return home as they are booked. So it is important that the likes of the airlines continue to fly the routes uh, in order that they can take the people home who are booked to come home. And if there are people who want to come home early, that they can book onto those flights as well. Yeah, there's some criticism, though. I read in the Independent this morning from travellers who said that they boarded flights from Dublin to Rhodes at the weekend and nobody mentioned any evacuations that were taking place at the same time. Uh, nobody told them anything about wildfires or the people were being evacuated and they still were flown to Rhodes. Like, to be honest, the first I knew about this and when I started working on this was yesterday morning when I heard it on the news. So I'm not quite sure at what time the evacuation orders would have taken place. But TUI in the UK had no flights operating to Rhodes from the UK Sunday and they have none today or Tuesday and that's because they clearly don't want to take passengers into a situation where they their hotel that they have booked is is within the evacuation zone and is is deemed not safe so they're not taking passengers in Saturday could have been the unfortunate position of you know being between between departure time and when something happened because these are you know force of nature very much an evolving situation but On Sunday, Monday and Tuesday, there was no passengers flown out to those destinations where the hotels were under an evacuation order. But as I said, those flights did operate because they were bringing more staff to the island to manage the the, the customers and also to get the customers who were due to fly home Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. It's interesting you say this. It's interesting you say that they're flying more staff out to help because, again, back to the papers this morning... Uh, I'm just curious of your response to this. It's, it's not your responsibility, but 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 they're saying that tour operators have been accused of not seeing this crisis coming. And somebody actually said in the uh, in one of the red tops today that they have left and abandoned their clients. I have to say that's not what we're hearing. Yeah. I would have been in touch with a lot of the board members from the Irish Travel Agent Association yesterday. I would have been in touch with TUI yesterday. Clearly, these situations happen very quickly and they are uncontrollable. And to move 19,000 passengers and to do so safely without injury is, is, is some feat. And I think some congratulations is due to the Greek authorities for how they are managing this situation and the countries that are assisting them in, in fighting this fire. But managing 19,000 people into schools, gymnasium is, 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 is a challenge for anybody. Um, what we're hearing is that you know the tour operators and the travel agents are doing their absolute best. What I would be saying to, to customers is to contact your tour operator, your travel agent, if you're booked to travel in the next couple of days, or if you're in the destination. We spoke to our customers in Rhodes yesterday. All of our customers are in the north of the island. They were delighted to get a bit of contact, but they were reassuring us that they were fine, everything is fine. Yeah. And- they're, they're due to come home on Tuesday as yeah. normal. And that was the feedback I was getting from many of the members of the Irish Travel Agents Association yesterday who were speaking to customers, some in hotels in, destina- in areas that not are, were not affected, mm. but some in evacuation centres and saying, yeah, the reps are here, we have water, far from ideal, but, you know, we're safe and sound. And, and the safety piece, I think, is paramount. Like oh, I know. No, there's nobody, nobody hurt, nobody died. 30,000 on the move yeah. is a lot of people. In fact, just picking up on that point, they were um, brought by shuttle buses to various schools away from the danger area. And by all accounts, many of the locals were very kind. I was reading this morning that the locals were bringing the water, the locals were bringing food from their homes and everything. That was nice to see. And like, you know, like in reality, these people can't escape. They can't evacuate. Like their homes and businesses uh, are in are in the front line of these fires. So like they're having a, a really challenging position. 
What about the other islands, though? Uh, did I read something this morning about Corfu, which is a fair old distance away from Rhodes? Oh, it is. Yeah, Corfu is right up to the north, uh, at the bottom of the Adriatic Sea, kind of between Greece and Italy for anybody who's yeah. trying to position it. But yes, there were fires uh, announced yesterday. There were some evacuations from a beach area in Corfu, which is on the, the north of Corfu. And we're waiting to see what's happening in Corfu. As far as we are aware, there have been no hotel evacuations as yet, but we're in touch with the Greek National Tourist Office to find out exactly what is going on. Because once again, these situations change very quickly. Corfu has slightly more flights than Rhodes. It has two Aer Lingus flights every week out of Dublin, two Ryanair flights every week out of Dublin, uh, two TUI flights every week out of Dublin, and there's a Ryanair out of Shannon to Cor- from Sorry, from Shannon to Corfu. Um, I won't keep you much longer, but close, much closer to uh, Rhodes is Santorini uh, and Kos and Naxos and Crete. Um, any, any problems in those islands? We're not hearing of anything. The, the, the areas that like we're hearing about are roads, which we've outlined very much in the southeast of the island, Corfu, some beach areas in the north of the island, north of Corfu town, and um, also the island of Evia, which is about 80 kilometers northeast of Athens. That's not a tourist it's not a major tourist destination as such, like there would be no flights to, to that particular part of Greece for holidaymakers. So they're the three areas that we're hearing about at present. Um, and, and, you know, unfortunately, it's, it's weather and Greece is very much in a heat vortex in the same way that we are in a, a rain vortex. Is it very, very hot? I mean, what kind of temperatures are we talking about? Um, well, in the cities, clearly, it's going to be in the, in the mid-40s in Athens. I think the reports coming out of Athens yesterday were that it was the hottest day and it was mid-40s in Athens. But a city in southern Europe is going to be very hot in yeah, July. Yeah. Most of the tourists, thankfully, are in beach resorts or coastal resorts where there's going to be sea breezes and it's going to be cooler. Yeah, but it's got to be smoke and thing. ash falling on them, yeah? Of course, of course. Yeah. But the Department of Foreign Affairs are very much on top of this. Their website was updated yesterday. Everybody should be watching and, and keeping a close eye on dfa.ie, really good source of information for travel advice. The department are saying normal, normal precautions apply. Do not travel to areas clearly where there are fires, keep your phone charged, have your phone on roaming so that the local authorities can message people within their network area if they choose to message within to the regions within Greece. So good, sensible advice from the department, but it's normal precautions apply. The airports in all of these destinations are operating, which is important. Um, and travel agents are not going to put any of their customers in a position where there's any sort of safety risk. Does that so, mean if somebody does not want to travel now and is planning on going um, to one of the Greek islands or indeed Rhodes, as an example, that they get a refund? Well, as I said, TUI on their Wednesday flight are offering refunds, full refunds, because their view is that the hotels that their clients are booked into are not going to reopen. If, if it's an area that is not affected by fires and the flights are operating, if the client doesn't want to travel, that is going to be what we would see as disinclination to travel, albeit we can understand their concerns and their anxieties. But if the hotel is open and the flights are operating and the destination is operating as normal, that's, that's the position. No but at all times, that will be... At, well, no, because if the flights are operating, that's the case. If, you know, if, if, if you're a travel company and the hotel you're sending somebody to is closed because of the fires, then you get a clearly you, yeah. you need to make alternative arrangements. Yeah. Yeah. If... You know, the hotel you're sending somebody to is open. That hotelier is not going to look to refund those customers. They're going to say, we're here, we're open, we're ready for business. It's July, it's peak season. 
Um, and the airlines, as I said, need to keep flying so that the schedules continue and so that the passengers who are booked and due to return on certain dates through the season can do so. And hopefully the, the, the Greek authorities get the, the fires under control as, as, as best they can Good stuff. under the circumstances. Good stuff, good stuff. And of course, you're right. It's very reassuring that everybody is at least safe and secure. Nobody hurt, hurt and no loss Huge of life. Important. Yeah. And, and you would not think that to read some of the red and, headlines. Yeah, this absolutely. And to see some of the photographs. Paul, thanks so much for the update. I do appreciate it. You're very Busy welcome. Day for you today. Paul Hackett, President of the Irish Travel Agents Association. Text 0868 Back after the break. You're listening to the number one talk show in Cork, The Neil Prenderville Show. It's the best in Cork. On Red FM. Sindidi, the uh, 14-year-old boy that's been identified as one of the chief suspects in the brutal city centre assault uh, was before the Children's Court yesterday. One of the things that I didn't mention in the paper review this morning was that the Independent are saying that doctors are not even sure as to whether uh, the 57-year-old man will um, have any kind of long-term brain injuries, but we're talking about a 14-year-old juvenile juvenile from the north inner city. Unfortunately, we have way too much of these teenage-type stories making the news these days. Uh, it involved apparently a group of about 20 local youths going around assaulting people all summer long in and around the city centre area, particularly in and around that area of the city centre. And many people are wondering why it was allowed to get that bad more boots on the ground would make a huge big difference. Uh, text 0868104106. You talk about people overseas. Uh, got a lovely email in the post saying, Morning, love the show. Just dropping you a line from Oz. Uh, you do a great job on promoting Cork and everything around Cork. There's a lot I miss about Cork City, especially the north side. Uh, I listen to you every day and I love hearing all the older generations coming on and having a go at the new generation. <laughs> having a go. Back in the day, back in my time, all my family and friends are still in Cork and it makes me so angry when I hear about all of the crime and all of the drugs and all of the lawlessness in Cork City. I'm no genius, but what about this for an idea? It costs approximately 90000 to 100000 a year to keep a prisoner in the luxury they're accustomed to. With the €100,000, you could employ two new guardies probably paying them a lot more than what they're on right now. Two more boys or girls in blue walk in the streets, which would mean less crime, you would hope. Increasing punishments might help with our crime at the moment. If you kick someone in the head who's unconscious on the ground, it should be attempted murder. If you stab someone, it should be attempted murder. If you steal a car and drive it away, you could possibly kill someone. It should be attempted murder. Our politicians need to take a trip to Singapore to see how to really curb crime. Don't give out my details. I get too much grief from my mates here in Oz. When I was growing up, people didn't call the Ghostbusters. They called Neil, and I'm glad to see that they still are. Cheers. Oh, and by the way, come on, the girls in green. So thank you for that lovely uh, email from Australia. Do stay in touch. Uh, You make an awful lot of sense, uh, particularly... Uh, because that's exactly what happened to the Dublin tourist. When he went down from whatever possible sucker punches that he took, they then started to kick him in the head. Actually, it's interesting. People are wondering about the difference between the north side and the south side on Lee side. Another email um, to get people thinking over the weekend. I got a call last week, Neil, from a few guys in a pub trying to settle an argument as to who was better, a north side person or a south side person. As the two guys were arguing, I informed them, 
uh, both of them, that there's only actually about 1% of Cork people that can truly call themselves Northsiders, based on the fact that most of the children that are born in Cork are delivered in the hospitals on the south side, which makes most of the north side just south side people living on the north side. <laughs> I love this. It will be interesting to know how many children were actually born in the north side and can truly call themselves blue-blooded northsiders. Uh, just for the record, my sister Margaret and myself were born at home in Liam Healy Road, so that's true two true Northsiders to start. But I don't really think there's many more of us, uh, says Jim O'Hearn by email to Neil at uh, redfm.ie. I suppose you would have to have been born in the North Infirmary, I suppose, wouldn't you? Because technically anything else would be a Southside baby. Anyway, uh, get involved in that conversation. Text 0868104106. Back to the phone lines we go. It's very sad to hear at the weekend or on Friday um, that Household Linens uh, is to uh, call it a day. Uh, Joe Cotter, the man behind it, joins me by phone. Joe, good morning. Good morning, young man. How are you? I am well, pal. I'm well. Listen, a sad <laughs> day. Why did you decide to uh, shut the door? Uh, basically, footfall in town has taken a, a savage hit since COVID, particularly. Um, and if, if I was to compare my figures with, uh, you know, in, in, in the last three months, I suppose, since we were closed down, Neil, the April, May and June, we had nearly 5,000 customers during the closing down sale. Um, and in the same period before COVID, we had just over 2,000. So, and nearly every one of those people would have said to me, uh, we don't come in town anymore. We only came in town for the closing down sale. No, it's sad yeah. that the figure spiked during the closing down sale, but, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But it's just an indication. I mean, I, I can guarantee you nearly... Three quarters of those people said, we don't come in town anymore. It, it's too much hassle. Where are you based? You know, In Oliver Plunkett Street, yeah. right in the heart of the city, I know 100 it. yards from the GPO. Yeah, yeah next yeah. to the Oliver Plunkett Bar there. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a, I, I think you guys must have a bit of ESP, extrasensory perception going on, because I went into the shop yesterday for one last look around. I naturally handed the keys back this morning to the auctioneer. So, Kind of a poignant day to take a phone call. Yeah, man. How long is how long yeah. is how how long is household linens going? Uh, nearly forty six years. Nearly forty six years. Have you yeah. been behind the yeah. counter and behind the till for all of those? Uh, since nineteen eighty one, I took over the business twenty years ago. Yeah, so it's been I, I, I almost institutionalized, I suppose. And after I hand back the keys today, I'll be. You know, I, I suppose I'm still in a holiday mode that I kind of kind of feel, just feel that I'm in holidays and I'll be going back to work in another couple of weeks. But um, it will probably hit me now in, you know, in another week or two that, oh, I'm not getting up at 7 o'clock to go to work and when it's raining, I'm not waking up at 2 o'clock in the morning wondering are the, are the tides okay, will the place be flooded? It won't be, a, it won't be my problem anymore. I know, I know, I know, yeah. I know. Yeah. 45 years. COVID, yeah. COVID didn't help, you're saying. You said down 30% from before COVID. But the footfall yes. also impeded by people who don't feel safe, is it, in the city? Or what? Or is no, it they moved they, online they, or they moved access, to the... Well, I think it's access to the city is a huge problem, you know. Um, not everybody has a bus stop outside their door. So not everybody wants to, you know, get a bus home and swag a couple of pillows and do this half a mile down the road. Uh, 
cars, are, you know, the, the, the elimination of cars from the city centre has been a disaster. And I can't put it any other way, you know. Mm. And I, I don't want to, to appear negative, but, you know, and, oh, God, you know, I, I just went into the city council website this morning before your call came on. Yeah. And I was looking at, you know, I said, May, maybe I'm missing something. Is there something that they're doing in planning that I'm not aware of? And they, I just give a quick read-down of what they have. They have nine action plans for for the city centre. They want to develop character development in community, make it age-friendly and accessible. They want to develop the culture and the nighttime economy. So I think that's very important. They want to develop the nighttime economy and make more efficient use of building stock, improve uh, natural assets, greening and urban resilience, hard infrastructure, mobility and connectivity and last of the whole lot economic sector growth mm-hmm. and do you think that's, that's intentionally uh, last economic growth well you know what we to make of it a city is a place where people come to do business surely that should be top of your list you know? Well, what seems uh, to be top wrong? of the list is, the, is the... No, no, because what we yeah. see really is wider footpaths and more and more cycle lanes and taking parking yes. out of the city. The multi-stories yeah. are ridiculously expensive. You go into the second hour and you need a... It could be, it could be, you wouldn't be lucky to get change out of a tenner. I know what you're saying. I mean, if you look yeah. at the photographs years ago, if you go back 45 years uh, to when the shop opened, look at yes. the amount of parking. If you just took, say, for instance, the Grand Parade alone... That yes, entire centre spine in the middle of the street. You did, yes. yeah, and loads of yeah. it. But, but, yeah. but maybe that wasn't sustainable as population growth built. I don't know. No, I know nobody can park outside their own door. But still, you know, it, particularly in my end of the business, you know, where you 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 pillows and do this, you have big bulky things. You know, you you can't drag those home on a bus. You can't bring them home in the back of a bike. I know. You, I know. Know. you can't so, you can't walk yeah. home with them but yet at the same time your products are something that would not be recommended to buy online because you need no. to you need to actually feel the duvet for god's you sake do. and the pillow you need to feel the pillow if you're yeah yeah you, you know? can't yeah yeah um no it, it's it, maybe i'm just a dinosaur and it's now you know maybe i'm not moving with the times um but i certainly think and i suppose for me neil that the the, the the hardest, if you, if you like, the, the last bullet to the head was I was inside last week and I went into and emptying out the shop for the last few weeks, obviously. Yeah. And I went in last Tuesday night, left home at five to five, got into Parnell Place at five past five. I put a sign up on my dashboard, household linens, emptying the shop back in two minutes. So I came back seven minutes later and I had a parking fine for 40 euro. God, I, and I, was want... par- no, I was parked in a loading bay. I wasn't parked in the disc park. I just was going to ask you that. You weren't bay. impeding anything. So, no, yeah. with a house with a house or linens label on the dashboard. And, uh, that says it all, doesn't it? Here. Doesn't that say it do, all? Do, doesn't it indicate that's why people aren't coming in town? You God know, because there's, there's a mean spiritedness, I think, in City Hall. And, you know, it, again, City Hall, it's, it's my business, it's my responsibility, you know, I, I took the decision to close it down, but I certainly don't think City Council are doing much to help people, they're, they're hunting people over town with that kind of behaviour. So when you heard that Con Murphy's had called it a day uh, some weeks yes. back, were you already mulling over the idea yourself? No, actually, I had announced my closure a month before Con Murphy's, 
So, yeah, um, and it, I, I was saying that to people, you know, it seems to be particularly small family businesses are being hit. And that has always been the unique character of Cork City. You know, uh, you, you had Liam Russell's up further up True. the street from me, yeah. Con Murphy's, you know, you, I could name another half dozen. Uh, and small family businesses are struggling and again, and it's what, the small family businesses gave the city and continue those that are there to give the city its character. No disrespect, yes. but the big international brands, there's no, wow, there's no kind of wow or heritage factor to them. No, no, because uh, you, you could go into a large multinational department store and you wouldn't know if you're in Paris, Berlin, London, or New York, because they're, they're, they're featureless. They're all the same, you know. Um, you know, of, like Finn's, it, Finn's Corners, Finn's Corner went. Yeah, um, yeah, Unida went. Yeah. Uh, Brennan's, the fabulous butchers went. Fabulous. Uh, hot chocolates. The old Flynn's butchers. Yeah. Who? Yeah, Brennan's Kitchen Shop down the road from me. Another fabulous shop. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just as an indication, you know, obviously I've had some little bit of time on my hands over the last couple of months, and I've been looking at figures. And I went back to the very start. Uh, I have to keep seven years' figures for the revenue. But before I threw out all the previous 38, I was adding up bits and pieces. And I reckon over the 45 years, between VESH, PAYE, PRSI, corporation tax, all you know, rates for the City Hall, we paid 13.5 million in taxes towards the government over the last 45 years. Which, for a small little family-run business, is incredible. Thirteen and a half you know? million since you first opened the yeah. door. How did, the but how does that make you years. feel? Does that make you feel bitter? No, there's no bitterness. I, I, you know, I, I put my children through school and college, and you know, they're they're, they're going off to set up their own adventures. You know, so the business has been good to me. But I think there's so much more that could be done, and I would worry about the businesses that have been left behind. I, I really think that, you know, the, the, the facade of Cox City is going to change dramatically. And City Hall can say, oh, well, we have the, the new Docklands project coming on stream in four years' time. And, you know, we're going to have trams in 2035. That's going to be too late. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I mean, it's all very good to be talking about Cork on a fork and, and, and accentuating the positivity of hospitality and restaurants and bars in the city. Yes. But general retail, there's probably other retail listening to us now who are also contemplating the move that you just made, the ultimate move to, to close the front door, you know? Yeah, yeah. And what will you, what will you do next? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I plan to take a few weeks off. Uh, I'll be 61 in a couple of weeks' time. So I have a small little pension, but it won't sustain me until I'm 65. So I'll have to find something part-time to keep me going. But I won't worry about it until the end of August. I know what you're saying. You know? yeah, yeah, but I'm working 43 years, which I suppose is a couple of life sentences and... Uh, I think it deserves a couple of weeks off anyway. Absolutely. It'll be strange yeah. to adjust to it, though, won't it? It will. It will, as I said earlier. I, I, and I'm almost institutionalised. You know, I've been working there since 1981. So uh, I don't know anything else. Seen an awful lot of changes in the city since 1981. You can absolutely. be sure of that. Yeah. yeah, a lot of water under the bridge and a lot of water over the bridge as well. I know what yeah. you're saying. I know yeah. what you're saying. Listen, Joe, whatever the next chapter is, the best of luck to it. A sad right. day. Thanks but for thanks for taking the call. Cheers, my okay. friend. Thank All you. the best. Bye That's bye. the great Joe Cotter. A really lovely, lovely guy. Household linens. 
and many of us have bought many a duvet or a pillow or a pillowcase or as my mother used to call them pillow cases over the years unfortunately an awful lot more have gone I mentioned you need a bookshop Finn's Corner Brennan's Butchers O'Connell Hot Chocolate O'Flynn's the Butchers Bracken Bakery Larry Tompkins uh, Ali's Kitchen The Fishwife Ayers Cafe Idaho some of these actually changed hands uh, and continuous businesses under a new name Drake's Bistro Union Grind Coffee Shop Ziggy's Preachers uh, some of them back open as I say Cupcake Cottage, and they're just local ones off the top of our head. Uh, a lot more international brands have gone as well from the city centre, including obviously Debenhams. Um, who knows when you know, that building will be put back to, to good use. Gap, Argos, uh, Carphone Warehouse, uh, the list goes on and on. Anyway, text 0868104106 and the changing face of our city centre back after the break. Cork's number one talk show. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. I tell you, one business that is in the city centre and thriving, Offbeat Donuts on French Church Street. And it being a Monday, you probably have the Monday munchies after the weekend. So let's see if we can organise a pick-me-up for you and all of your work colleagues and chums. And you can start the week off on a high. Uh, depending on the size of the business, it's upwards of 60 donuts will be delivered. That could be up to five boxes and they'll be delivered this lunchtime by Red Patrollers, courtesy of Offbeat Donuts, creating circles of obsession uh, at French Church Street. So, all I need to know is uh, who you are and where you are and why you deserve this Monday munchy um, start to the week, this Monday morning, and pick me up. So, who you are, uh, where you are, and mostly, and most importantly, why you and your colleagues deserve this Monday morning treat of donuts. So, you can text on that one, text 086 8104106 and we'll start the shout outs uh, in about 20 minutes half an hour's time and we were asking the question because somebody texted and said uh, why does it take an attack on a tourist for our politicians to get all hot and bothered about safety thuggery and criminality on our streets people are afraid to go into our towns and cities something must be done uh, now Joe Cotter didn't actually even mention that when he was talking about the reason why footfall is down in the city centre but amongst it of course although he didn't want to dwell on it because uh, he's just a gentleman uh, was the fact that many people don't feel safe particularly the elderly uh, particularly the harassment that you will get in the city centre or just what you observe with the amount of people that are going around looking like the walking dead and begging and shooting up and defecating and all sorts of stuff in the city. A few texts on that. I reckon this man could have defended himself, was afraid of hurting a minor. I will at any time physically hurt any man, woman or child that wants to physically assault any member of my family without hesitation, full stop. Yeah, I, I, I know what you're saying and I can, I can feel your anger. Uh, I do know of somebody who did just that actually many years ago uh, with a minor who was seriously out of control uh, and ended up in court and prosecuted for it. Uh, recruit a lot more guardie and get back to where it used to be, policing on the beat. I don't go near Cork City anymore unless I need to go shopping. It's a kip. Um, well, that means you still go in to shop um, because there would be other places to go and never have to go into Cork City to shop. A uh, very simple solution to the problem. I don't understand why they're not being implemented. Lower the age of prosecution and use fixed term sentences. Arm the guardie and give them the tools and the manpower they need to do the job. One or two more. Cork City has been taken over by drugs and anti-social behaviour. We need to get tougher. Those in charge are turning a blind eye. How many people have multiple, multiple offences? Start by cutting the dole if they're committing crimes. 
We've just gone too soft. Uh, morning, Neil. Make parents responsible for their children's actions, then let the parents make their offspring responsible for their actions. Um, and one person here believes that the Gardaí should be armed and encouraged to use their weapons when necessary. Hmm. Not quite sure what the weapon would be. I hope you're not talking about anything more more um, powerful than a taser in the short term anyway. Uh, or, I don't know, maybe people want Gardaí to be armed, but then again, you wouldn't want people to be unarmed going up against members of Vanguard as you're going to who are armed but Taser puts manners on people of that you can be sure so text 0868104106 a lot of the time it has to do with optics though you know a lot of the time it has to do with cosmetically fixing things not actually dealing with the root of the problem and one of the most frustrating things I saw on Friday because people started sending me videos from Noonan's Road was the amount of people who were up there working cleaning up uh, Noonan's Road, ahead of this evening's Executive Council visit. And they were all there, and they were cutting grass, and they were strimming, and they were working on the concrete area, and they were doing all sorts of things, just to cosmetically make it look a heck of a lot better than it really would be if nothing had been done for tonight's walkabout. So just quickly, this side of uh, 10 o'clock on that one, Jackie Ashcroft joins me again by phone. She's one of the residents and is also Secretary of their Residents Association in the area. Jackie, good morning. Good morning. Just just on oh, that yeah. just on that clean up. How, how long did it go on for? They appeared out of nowhere, right? Yeah, that was on Friday morning. Um that went on all day Friday and even then um when I woke up Saturday morning there was a whole load of them still outside. So they worked about maybe half a day on the Saturday. So all day Friday, it, half day Saturday, what were they doing? Um, strimming, um, strimming the grass, um, cleaning down the roads, um, making sure there was no rubbish anywhere, um, this kind of thing. I mean, and it it wasn't even the corporation doing it. This is actually a, a, a construction company called Henley Construction. And we actually asked the guys that were working and they said, oh, yeah, Corporation hired us to do this. Oh, say they were a contracted company that were brought in at short notice to do this. Yes, yes, yes. So there weren't council staff doing it? No, there were some council staff there, but the majority of the guys that were outside had the high-vis jackets on with the name of their company. And they were working hard from the point of view of the videos that I saw, in fairness. Oh, yeah, 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 they were cleaning up, they were doing everything that... I suppose that they were being paid too. And have they made a significant difference? Uh, I suppose slightly, yes. But it's still Noonan's Road. Oh, I, oh, I know. It's But don't kid yourself. This is done so that things look better for tonight. Oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No doubt about that at yeah. all. And how does that make you feel? You must be frustrated because... Nobody was listening to you this time two weeks ago. No, no one. And yeah. now, and now, and now, all of this. This is just totally. It makes me sick. It's yeah. frustrating to see all of this carry on, but just because we've got the powers that be coming down to this road at eight o'clock tonight, it's absolutely. It's outrageous. Mm. I mean, they could find the money to pay a construction company to do all this cleaning. They can't find the money to do 
vital repairs to people's houses here. It's a very saucy thing to do, isn't it? Very brazen to do this ahead of an official visit, to hire a well, contractor I'd... to go in and tidy it up so it looks better. It reminds you of, of going of a politician before a hospital visit, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and it's not just here that, that I think that they think. I think it was down in Finbar's Road as well, because the, the people that are coming up tonight are actually going down to Finbar as well. Okay, okay. All right, so this evening now, um, and uh, we'll be there, uh, Kevin Galvin will be there as well this evening, keeping an eye on things. Will you get to actually talk to city council executives? Will they meet with you? I'm not sure. I'm not sure from from what you actually said to me the other day on the on the radio was that they're going to talk to four households along here. And then they're going to talk to two over in Finbar's Road. Road. So I've no idea if we're going to get to talk to them or not. Yeah, okay. But you will walk with them, I'm assuming, yeah, residents? Oh, well, definitely. Okay. Definitely. All right, let's see what happens. We'll be there as well to observe. We'll chat some more on this tomorrow, Jackie, all right? Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Have a good day today and good luck tonight. Text 0868-104-106. Show. Red FM. And don't forget the Monday Munchies, courtesy of ourselves, an offbeat donuts on French Church Street. A random selection of donuts will be put together, and if it's a big business that wins, up to five boxes, like 60 donuts. You'll have the strawberries and cream, Nutella rings, pistachio, offbeat jam, raspberry rhapsody. Oh, that sounds nice. And many more. So text who you are and where you are, and most importantly, why you and your workmates deserve this Monday morning pick-me-up. Text 0868104106. Just wanted to say thank you. We really enjoyed our visit to the Butter Museum on Wednesday last with the passes you gave us a few weeks back, says Vince in Balancholic. I highly recommend it. We came across a butter wrapper from Callan Creamery, County Kilkenny, which brought back childhood memories for me as I lived nearby in the late 50s and into the 60s. We finished off the evening with a fantastic meal with your friends at the Spitjack, says Vince in Balancholic. Wow, you had a great day. You got to see the Butter Museum. You got to a beautiful area of our city up around the Butter Exchange and the Firkin Crane and Shandon. And then you went to one of Cork's best restaurants uh, on Washington Street, the Spitjack. So well done. Uh, with regards to, and thank you for saying thank you, Vince. It's always lovely. Uh, with regards to underage criminality, um, Anna Kriegel's killers were underage, weren't they? There shouldn't be a problem jailing underage killers. Neil, this will never stop. Um, Sterilisation of generational layabouts is the only way to stop this. Otherwise, it will continue. Wow, that is a very, very worrying text, I have to say to you, because that's exactly the narrative uh, that they had with regards to the Nazis in Germany uh, and their carry-on in the 30s and 40s. Uh, Why do you call that child that beat up a tourist in Dublin a child? And a child that goes into a library at 14, you call them a young adult. Well, if you're quoting me correctly, you're absolutely right. I shouldn't. I should call them both either children or young adults. You also said, says somebody else, Jesse says, you said that 10 months was a hefty sentence for stealing two kegs of beer. Uh, one of them had 197 previous charges. How much has that one person cost the, cost the state and hard-working taxpayers by his behaviour? Ten months for a career criminal? He is exactly where he belongs, says Desi. Good point. Uh, an impassioned belief. 
Uh, I respect that. Um, I know you're talking about the cost of the state probably would be free legal aid. Uh, I lived in Corfu. My relations are the biggest real estate agents on the island. Those fires happen every year on Corfu. More rubbish reporting from the media to suit the climate agenda. They will probably be looking for climate lockdowns next. Well, how then do you work out, how do you work out the fires and twenty to 25,000 tourists being moved from hotel accommodation on roads? The roads fire, Neil, is exaggerated. Trying to say it's climate change is rubbish. The Echo Live article said it was 38 degrees in Cork in July 1923. So it's all happened before. Please don't believe all the lies. Research it. RTE presenters get a bonus payment every time they say it. Inverted commas. <laughs> so thank you for those. On household linens, uh, can't really blame household linens. I avoid town as it's tired and it's run down. Um, it, parking's too expensive. Little to no guard presence. Visible drug and alcohol abuse. And the shops and cafes are too expensive. I head to Maham Point if I need something. Town would be a last resort. I suppose the city manager, Anne Doherty, isn't hearing these stories. I expect she's at home uh, welcoming the hurlers back to Limerick. Um, what an absolute crap show, says somebody, as in the state of the city. It's all very well, and, and I don't mean to be disrespectful to Maham Point. I go there myself um, and uh, would be down there later on getting the the car washed and what have you and go to the cinema there and uh, buy clothes there um, it's very good and the parking is free but it doesn't have the same kind of soul or potential soul or heritage or character that Cork City would have um, because Cork City to me is just the centre of my universe but Joe Cotter um, did say on the sign on the door of Household Linens he said family businesses have always been the unique feature of Cork City Centre and we hope that you will continue to support those that are left rather than the big multinationals who have no loyalty to this city and will leave when it suits them. He says, uh, there's no bitterness on behalf of the staff. We had 45 years. We survived floods, plagues, recessions, put our families through school and college and sent them out to start their own adventure. So for all that and once more, thank you and goodbye, says Joe Cotter and staff. I'm almost emotional reading that out because it really brings home that it is the end of another Cork business and for the Cotters and indeed all of the staff that work there, the end of an era. Back after the break. You're listening to Cork's number one talk show. I just think he's a brilliant interviewer. The Neil Prenderville Show on Cork's Red FM. Uh, it's a week now since I started looking into the closure of Cabana Lifestyle and in that space it started out with uh, an original email uh, who recently uh, gave €4,600 euro or at least said, taken off us by Cabana Lifestyle, who promised our garden house and promised and promised and promised and then went into receivership. Uh, we found others who were owed 3,000, 5,000, 14,000 and 18,000 and many more. All of them are deposits and now they have nothing to show for it. So it was the original email that I got in and then they also said to me, take a look at this link and it was the Trustpilot link with all of the different reviews for Cabana. And there are literally review after review after review without repeating myself, um, because a lot of this I covered last week. One person told the story of a €12,000 deposit that's gone. Others spoke of substantial deposits. Another person here saying, stay away from this company, deposit of €4,000 in April, strung us along and nothing to show for it. Um, Others then talk about being promised and promised and waiting 54 weeks 
and still nothing. <clears throat> and all of this in spite of the fact that there would have been a 50% deposit. Another person here has a, a, a review on it talking about a €3,000 deposit. And there are just pages and pages and pages. And uh, it was bad enough handing over the deposit, but then all of the false promises... Um, they're just pages and pages of them. I couldn't actually put together a full amount of money that's owed, uh, but I certainly would be saying that it is in many tens of thousands of euro. Um, every morning there's another email from somebody else who's been uh, left out, out of pocket. Um, this chap was in touch talking on behalf of his parents. Uh, this is an email I got this morning. Like others that you've spoken to or the reviews you've read out, my parents suffered enormous stress when dealing with Cabana. And they were constantly fed false promises uh, over a significant period of time. Now, this emailer actually drills into the fact that a branch of Cabana was opened and operating in Northern Ireland for just 22 days in total. Now, originally, I did get a statement, um, just a response statement from uh, Cabana, um, because we were asking them what was the state of play with regards to what was happening and customers who had issued deposits and what have you. And that statement came in from Pat Crowley and he said um, that we um, have now closed the Northern Ireland branch. We're coming back to you in a difficult situation. I can confirm that Joe Murphy, chartered accountants, are now the receiver uh, and he uh, will be answering going forward. He's working with the suppliers to establish a base to fulfil customer orders. The receiver is now the point of contact for all future communications. And I'm happy to say that I have the receiver into Habana Lifestyle um, on the phone, Jared Murphy from Jared Murphy Chartered Accountants, who's been point, appointed receiver. Jared, good morning. Good morning, Ian. How are you? Uh, I, I'm good, but I really don't even know where to start with this story because so many people have been left out of pocket. Um, you, you probably see this a lot as a receiver. Um, many of them talk about um, their life savings being taken. You are the port point of contact, according to Pat Crowley, one of the directors of Cabana, to fulfil customer orders. Is that possible? At this point in time, each item, each order has to be looked at in an individual case. My position is as a receiver is in for is in as a loan note holder to try to recover the loan note holder's security under the 2024 company. What does that even mean, Jared, a loan note? So this is a person who advanced money to the company for the purposes of building, of, it's like a bank, pretty much like a bank. Right, so they advance money to the company for the company to start up or expand or whatever, and it is a security held by them. So I'm actually under that security. Now, in the course Are of you that, saying you are, that you will, you're operating for the bank? It's not. A, it's not. This is in this particular case. It's not a like. It's not a bank, but it is similar to a bank situation. Yes. Money that was loaned is that the first priority then? And who are the other priorities ahead of customer deposits? Well, I wonder. Okay, let's 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 not let's let's look at this thing in a, in a number of lights, right? So yes, that is a priority. But in a lot of these cases, there has been deposits received, and some of those deposits have actually been transmitted on to um, third-party suppliers. So there is product across Europe, uh, because Cabana imported from across Europe. There is product from across Europe, which may be in various states of flux. Is it paid for? Is it uh, ready to be shipped? Is there money still due on it? I have none of those answers at this point in time, and they will probably take two to three weeks just to compile the files right. together. I appreciate that. Right. Okay, but let's say that there was a lot of orders put in. 
it would only be um, a deposit on a hot tub or a gazebo yeah, or a pergola or an office. Some of the deposits are substantial. Yeah. Oh, yeah, up to... I mean, how, how much money are we actually talking about here? Have you a figure? I don't have a figure on that yet. You, don't, you, you couldn't even give a guesstimate as to the amount of money that's being held for deposits no. where nothing was done? Well, it's not being held by the company. The company has no money in its bank account at this point in time. I know that. Or very little. There's maybe a couple of grand there. That's about all. Right. Um, right. So whatever was the given... Monies have been paid out on, to suppliers for... Some money has been paid out to suppliers for um, deposits on manufacturing, whether it is orders for cabins or orders for hot tubs, whatever. Right? So... But how can this be, Jar? If if some of these orders go back a couple of years, I just read on an email of fifty four weeks waiting. Why would that be? The only reason I can think of fifty four weeks was if it was an unusual order in some shape. I don't know the order now, and I can't comment on individual orders. But you, I do know that, and I've come across this in other businesses that there are supply chain issues which have not been resolved since COVID. And they are still out there. And we can see that even with the car businesses here. So the manufacturers can't get cars because of supply chain issues and components, etc. So I don't know the answer to your specific question because I don't know the specifics of it. But oh, I, 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 know you, I know you did say you can't drill into specific cases. However, I have many of them. One was a 14,000 deposit in June of last year. They were given a 14 to 16 week lead time. Now that's a 13 months ago, mm-hmm. she actually went legal on it, um, employed a debt collection agency um, and uh, has this, this, this it, it just has gone absolutely nowhere and it was her entire life savings um, so this is 13 months and 14 grand um, like that, that's, that's a typical example and what's extraordinary then is that other people actually did get their orders fulfilled um, and installed in recent months. So w- would that be all to do with supply chain issues? You, I, or God may not know the answer to that at this point in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and in, this, in the scale of things, if there is no money, right, you say there's a couple of grand there, um, that doesn't augur well for people who have given three, four, eight, twelve... The only thing I will say is if people paid by credit card, not electronic funds transfer now, but by credit card, the Irish credit cards, and that was an Irish credit card, Irish credit cards have credit card insurance. And they should follow it up at this point in time with their credit card company and start processing that documentation. Okay. But many of the emails talk of people's life savings. So they clearly wouldn't have been a credit card. That would have been money that they would have saved throughout their lifetime. I, I couldn't comment because I don't know individual circumstances and I, I won't be getting into individual circumstances anyway. But quite often you'll find people will, will have savings put aside. They'll pay for things with a credit card and clear the credit card with their savings. Okay, okay. So, you know, anybody who's paid by a credit card should go away at this point in time and contact their credit card company and say, look, I haven't got my goods and start the process there. Okay, but if it wasn't a credit card that they that they can go back to for a, a refund or a reverse charge or whatever, they will be way down the pecking order of importance with regards to, you know, banks or uh, revenue or suppliers. They actually, um, 
they rank in the same position pretty much in these cases, uh, I would say. The, the, the revenue debt is very small from what I can gather, right? Their, their records are pretty much up to date and their taxes, I think, are fairly up to date as well, maybe a few months behind, but nothing exciting. Um, the, uh, so basically, like that side of it seems to be okay, or reasonably okay. The question is, we have to look at each, each, each contract individually. So like if you paid, I'll give you an example, if you paid 5,000 down on something and the thing is coming in and there's another 4,000 outstanding on your contract and there's only 1,000 euros to get it in from wherever, right? Um, those contracts should be able to be completed. If, on the other hand, you put 5,000 down and it's going to cost, and you owe another five and it's going to cost seven to complete it, then we'll try to go back to those people and say, right, it's going to cost you, um, your, your contract was for 10, it's going to cost another, you paid five, it's going to cost seven to complete it, the choice is yours. Uh, you can pay the extra seven, the extra 2,000 on top of it, if that's the case. I don't know, now this is only an example, right? And if you wish to do that, fine. If you don't wish to do that, fine also. It's your choice, but your your, your initial deposit is forfeit. Okay, there's you, nothing there to give it to you. Okay, you, you you obviously are the receiver, so you can't dwell in. You can't drill into people's emotional state or how they feel being out of pocket. One one woman, for instance, paid a big deposit for a hydro pool for her son, who's on the autism spectrum, and they are just sleepless nights with anxiety and worry and, 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 and anger, I suppose. Um, do, Frustration, do you... I guess, for lack of knowledge is probably the biggest issue with a lot of people. But we won't have that knowledge information for a couple of weeks. Okay. But one email that I will read out in a moment talks about the Northern Ireland branch of Cabana Lifestyle that only was in operation for 22 days. For want of a better term, this emailer is very suspicious about the setting up of a company for 22 days that never actually sold anything. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, I'm aware that there was a branch at one stage in Wexford. There was a, another branch in Cork. There was a branch in Dublin. And there's a branch of, in Northern Ireland. How long they traded for or how many days they actually operated for in any one of them. Uh, we're still trying to pin that down. And... Have those have the employees in those locations been looked after as well as required by statute law? That's another question out there as well. So, Niall, there's a lot of questions. Yeah, no, I suppose the emailer who is also out of pocket, or at least his parents are for a substantial amount of money, is wondering could, could would this have resulted in the Northern Ireland branch having Republican the stock from the Republic transferred over to the North? Possibly, unlikely, but possibly most of the stock has come directly in from overseas to the locations. So I don't think there was much moving up between north and south. The stock came in from continental Europe, as far as I can gather, in a lot of situations, it was shipped in directly. So, you know, but if, if there is stock in Northern Ireland, then we'll be recovering that as well. Okay. Okay. So it's, it's relatively early days in the sense that you don't have all of the figures before you and you can't put a number on the amount of deposits that. Could, and it could be a month before we get back to people. I'll be straight out. Okay, okay. Yeah. And so, who who no. are you, who are you, who would you be working on behalf? Of? I mean, who pays the who pays the receiver? The the bank pays the receiver. Right. Uh, the, sorry, the loan note holder. Right. Whoever is owed the debt that you're correct working on first, and then yeah, and then you're after there. after yeah. that, 
Uh, and wh- when do you think you might have a, a, an update with regards to the next chat that we could have on this matter? Give me a month. A month. Okay. Okay. So people have to month. just sit tight until then. Yeah, basically. Look, we hopefully we'll have contacted a lot of people within a month. A lot of people will be happy. A lot of people will be angry. You will yeah. have both. Yeah. Because yeah. their deposits will be gone. Will you be able to prove how many of people's deposits actually were sent to suppliers to manufacture? Yes, the records are good. The records from what we've seen are good. Okay. So okay. we should be able to track down an awful lot there. The records are good. But again, we'll never be able to comment on air regarding or even discuss on air with an individual, their individual circumstances. Did you manage to discuss with uh, the owners of Cabana as to why they closed? Uh, Cabana closed because there was a receiver appointed. Whether they were going to close before that or not, I don't actually know. What are you saying there, that it wasn't their idea to appoint the receiver, no? Uh, well, normally it isn't. No, they may have may have had some contact with the loan holder, but I wouldn't be privy to that. Okay. Okay, because they, they, they did say increase in energy costs, interest rates, um, tightening yeah, like, of disposable income. If you, if you look at the statistics that came out there, is it, was it a 40% increase or 60% increase in wind-ups there yeah. compared to last year at the moment is the current statistic. And like... That's even before we get into um, the current economic situation. Inflation hasn't really bitten in yet. The, um, uh, there's other, other costs out there and factors which are going to be fighting on. Like It's going to be a difficult challenge on a lot of fronts over the next two years. Yeah, I get, I get that. But this story is of interest to many people. And the only reason that I'm kind of looking at it as much as I am, because this is a company closure that actually leaves customers who have given substantial deposits. You don't often hear of uh, receiverships or liquidation where customers are out for thousands and uh, businesses might be out for thousands, but these are people's life savings. I'm, I'm sure you appreciate that. I don't. I think the last one we had, myself, yourself and I, we discussed was about 12 or 14 years ago yeah. where we had one of these. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right, Joe, you're very good to come on air and perhaps we'll have an opportunity to update in the coming weeks for those people who are very, very worried about uh, their money and their deposits and where they go next. Um, thanks for taking the call, though. Appreciate it. George okay, Murphy is the receiver with George uh, Murphy Chartered Accountants. There's not much more I can tell you um, at this stage with regards to um, where we're at on this. Uh, receiver has to do the work. We don't have a figure. Um, I could hazard a guess and total it up on the basis of uh, many of the emails that I've seen um, or people who got in touch with me. If you were to add that and also add in uh, Trustpilot, you're speaking, you're talking about many tens of thousands uh, of euro. You're talking certainly into, you're certainly talking uh, six figures. So back to the phone lines we go. Karen, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are uh, you? I'm good, thank you. Um, you, of course, um, paid a substantial deposit as well, I think in March of 2022. I did, yeah. I paid 3,725 euro in March, 12th of March 22. Um, I actually actually had the hot tub delivered, yeah, on the 5th of October 2022 but consequently it never worked. Never? No. No, I had um, now the the team of technicians and fitters of the hot tub were absolutely outstanding, amazing guys all together. Well if they were, why didn't they get it to work? They came out on a few occasions and they changed different components of the hot tub and um, they just couldn't get it to work at all so I had a meeting 
um, at their store near the airport road and uh, I was promised a replacement hot tub. Was it new? Brand new, yeah. yeah. I paid I paid in total uh, €7,750. Yeah, and I have photocopies yeah. of all of those receipts. I did. I sent them in to you, yeah, along with sending them, of course, to the um, guys in Middleton looking after the... The receiver, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Did you pay, did you pay yeah. for any of that by credit card? No, I didn't. I don't have a credit card. I paid for it all on the debit card. So you can't go for a chargeback from your credit card operator? I can't, no. Okay. no. And, and did I'm, they ever manage to work out why this hot tub never fired up at all, no? It never worked at all, no. Um, they changed the water pump, the heating pump, um, and it never, it never worked. And they... The, the excuse was that during COVID, some corners were cut in regarding the manufacturing of the hot tub and they'd had a few difficulties with uh, hot tubs coming that were duds, basically. Changed suppliers, actually changed countries on, a, on at least one occasion to get supplies from a, a different country. That's not your problem, though. Why didn't they just replace it with a perfectly good operating hot tub? Which is what they said to me on the 2nd of May, that they would replace the hot tub with a different manufactured hot tub, refresh hot tub, which I got in writing. Um, but of course, that will that will never fulfill. <laughs> May of when? Come. 2022 or 2023? 23. But you had yeah. a broken hot tub for how long? From... Well, I ordered it on the 12th of March, 22. It delivered 5th of October, 22. So... October 22 up till May 23 to the point where I'd had enough. Why does it take seven showroom. months for a hot tub arrive? Um, it was actually something that uh, was said there earlier that uh, the, the excuse for that was parts and it takes a long time to get the parts. Um, a, a lot of excuses put down to COVID times and Brexit and waiting for parts in the UK. And, of course, life takes over as well, Neil. You know, you go through Christmas, you're into January, the weather's not great, working hard, so you're looking at this hot tub that you can't do anything with, but equally not have time to phone them every single day of the but week. But you did call, them. though. You did hound them. Oh, my God, I did, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I actually, I had a suspicion a while ago that uh, something was going wrong. Uh, when they decided to open a, a place in Belfast, I noticed a lot of stock gone from the shop in the airport road. And I phoned and I said, what's going on? Is there something going on? And I was told, no, 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 not at all, not at all. We're expanding, quite the opposite, which was obviously not true because they would have been in trouble at that time as well. Um you don't think that that stock would have been sold as opposed to moved to Belfast? I'm just trying to be fair uh, here, no? I uh, Well, to me, it was showroom stock. So that's not a product that's being sold. It's it's there to show. And people order off that. They have to show something okay. in order to sell it. So what have you got? In my to opinion. Have, yeah, okay. Yeah, no, you're not the only person. Got another email talking about the opening of a Northern Ireland branch as well. Um, so what have you got to show for it now um, in the back? A broken hot tub? A broken hot tub, yeah. Um, and I guess realistically, my hope would be that the uh, guys taking over to look after this will 
give me the details of the manufacturers of the hot tub that I could maybe contact them direct and maybe it might be under some sort of warranty that maybe I can just keep Cabana out of it altogether and go straight to the manufacturer. I don't know. Why did you pay, Why? just curious, why did you pay the balance if it wasn't working? I paid, you have to pay the balance on delivery of the hot tub. I wasn't expecting it not to work. Oh man, that was a bitter pill to swallow. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Pay the balance before they fired it up. Yep. Oh my God, you must be heartbroken. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money and I'm, uh, it was a lot of money to consider paying out. I don't go on holiday, Neil. I don't really go very much far from home. My back is not very good and it was the reason why I decided to bite the bullet and, and make the purchase and um, it, it is heartbreaking, yeah. And, you know, I did my research. I wasn't one of those that just popped into the showroom or I, I checked out several different companies and I did my research on Cabana and I knew they had um, on their reviews it takes some time for the hot tub to be delivered but after contacting other companies it was the it was the same okay. time span, six yeah. months, seven months, okay. eight months okay. so, And you have um, no idea because the receiver hasn't got a figure yet as to how much people are out if you total it all up, do you? I reckon it's hundreds and hundreds of thousands. What do you I think really do. Yeah. Okay. I think that my my product that I purchased would have been one of the cheapest products there available. Mm, okay, okay. With the the others that you were talking about, I mean, people who paid thousands more in deposits just with no product in front of them. Yeah, I reckon it's... Do you think this will also impact on other hot tub sellers or hydropole sellers or pergola sellers or office pod sellers? I think people will certainly be more, well, I would hope, would have more caution in, in buying a product. And in hindsight, I guess if I ever have a purchase this big again, I certainly wouldn't be putting down that kind of deposit and, or paying any balance until the product is working. True, true, true. Mm. But, you know, that's with the benefit of hindsight. Stay, stay in touch, Karen. Thank you for taking the call. Uh, I want to Thanks talk to you. Neil. Take care, Susanna. Susanna, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are uh, you? I think I might have seen correspondence from you because I yes. recognise the 54 weeks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, really, Neil, what I'd like to focus on is um, the process. When, I, like, the money was handed over in June 2022... How much? In between 14,000. 14,000. Was that 50%? Yeah. Uh, it was. Okay. Yeah. And do you mind me asking what you were buying for 28,000? Uh, um, a, beeh- a beehive pod and a hot tub. We were starting a business. Um, Sorry, so, there was somebody so, talking to my ear there. My apologies. You said a sorry, beehive what? We were starting a beehive pod. Um, so I met with the salesman twice before you know, putting down the deposit because the the timeline was hugely important to us, the 14 to 16 weeks. We wanted to, you know, obviously get going as quickly as we could starting up a business. So um, in between June and January, June 22 to January 23, I did not receive one phone call or email or anything. Now, I was phoning the office um getting the run around and uh, I've extensive email communication and 
in what's very clear from that communication is the level of contradictions that was going on. Mm. Um, I poked my head up, put my experience on their Facebook page, and I was threatened with slander and defamation. When you questioned why you were being... when I put up the when I put up the factual account of what had been happening, to me, um, then I was I, I had a solicitor at the time, and the solicitor was contacted by the managing director, and uh, t- told that I'd be sued for defamation if I didn't take it down. So I didn't take it down because it was factually correct. Right? Did your solicitor say that you could be sued? No, well, the, the solicitor was just passing on the information that this, it was in an email from the managing director to my solicitor. Yeah, and yeah you'd be sued if you didn't take yeah. it down. But, yeah. it, but it, yeah. was it, did you put it up on their Facebook? I put, originally put it up on their Facebook page and then the Facebook page disappeared because they had gone to the wall. Now, I didn't actually find out they were gone to the wall until quite, I suppose, a week or so after the event. Um, you see, if you put if you put something up that's absolutely one hundred percent accurate yeah, as a I customer, my solicitor saw it yeah, yeah. and she said there was nothing. You know, there was there was nothing hmm. that would. Um, no, the other there was nothing litigious in what you said. It was just the absolute not. truth. No, okay, no, no. So you I wanted was, you wanted the beehive and the hot tub because you were yeah. starting a business enterprise. Correct. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So here here we are, kind of you know June. July 2023. Um, for me, the, the 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 most, I suppose, the most damaging thing about this whole experience was the contradictions. I was talking to one person, and they were saying, "Oh, yeah, your 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 pod is on the truck. It's on the truck, um, or it's it's finished. It's going to be delivered. It has been delivered. It's going to be delivered next week." You know, this was the this was the level of gaslighting that was going on. Um, towards customers who were who had acted in good faith and handed over money to a company to deliver and you know make sure that everything was delivered on time. Um, so my main issue is what, what what prevented that company from communicating their issues, their supply chain issues to their customers? Why was it always you know you'd ring the office? Oh, they're off, they're at a conference, they're abroad on a seminar, um, you know, oh, they're out sick. Uh, and this went on and on and on. And this was the, this appeared to be the response, the blanket response to anybody trying to find out about their, their goods. So from June 2022, um, right up until recently, yeah. you received one email update in that length of yeah. time. From a member of staff who, who when I went to Ringer, had left. And then when, and then, and then when delivery dates were missed and everything, this fourteen to sixteen I weeks. I had no delivery date, nothing. Okay, but the, you know that lead yeah. in that people talk of fourteen to, to mm. sixteen weeks. When that passes, then why don't people just say I want a refund? Well, I phoned the office in Airport Hill in January, um, and I spoke to a member of staff there, a man, and. I said I wanted to. I that's the point at which I applied for the refund. I no, I was given the runaround by the manager, by the general manager, and 
you know, told, oh, the managing director will be on to you, this will all be sorted, you know, we're really sorry. Uh, it was all hot air, um, as we know. So You didn't pursue then with the notice of cancellation and a refund? I did. No, I did. Because so surely, surely you were yeah. entitled to that, weren't you? I was, yeah. So my, my refund was due in March. And again, the solicitor wrote and the managing director promised, and I have all this in writing, you know, firm proposals, expeditious solutions to the issue. And the next thing we know, then they've up, they've up sticks and gone. And when did you find that out? Was it on a visit to the premises that you saw the letter uh, on the no, window like I did? I thought, you know, Neil, there's, there's quite a group of us in contact with each other now. Growing so, every day from what I can yeah, see. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, when I put my original review up in Trustpilot, you've seen it, you've read it. Yes. Um, it was flagged uh, by the no defunct business. Um, it, you know, they wanted it taken down. And that's, that's the level of, of pettiness. Okay. You couldn't say a word okay. against did you Did you hand it over to a debt collection, collection agency? Yeah. Um, they, yeah, this, I mean, again, I, the first solicitor was, you know, given the run around like I was, a load of hot air. And I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not uh, talking out of turn. I can show you emails and you're like, yeah, that's a load of junk. Um, from the, the, the from Cabana to the solicitor. Solicitor I had first, she doesn't, um, she said, look, I can go so far with this. Her area of special, you know, isn't debt collection. So we had a conversation when, when Cabana did nothing. They did nothing. They just sent emails saying, yeah, we'll sort this out. We'll have a, a, a firm proposal, an expeditious solution. None of that ever materialised. No, yeah, now, and now gone. So then I, I, yeah. I went on to um, a solicitor in the city who, um, you know, one of their areas of, of, of expertise is, is civil proceedings. But again, I just want to, like, I should have been done and dusted long before the okay. Okay. receivership went in. Okay, again. I applied, you know, to, in, in January when I rang Cabana looking for a time frame clarification. I spoke to a man and he, I said, what would you do if you were in my shoes? He said, I'd get my money and run. And that was in January. And was, who, 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 was that a staff member said that? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I have the name and I made a note of the time that we were talking. So in January, about. somebody in the business yeah. owes Did your money, you? told you to yeah. take the money and run. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, you tried to take the money even run, but you you couldn't get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but you did say, um, just looking at your notes here, that you will pursue them while I have breath in my body. Yeah. Yeah. How? I will. Uh, you, you didn't well, pay with a credit card, did you? I didn't know. Um, really, I suppose what this we're we're in the long game now, um, where I'm trying to get a judgment against them. Um, but look, I don't understand the the law that much. Um, what about if the if you know um, the receiver said that, say for instance, you paid over fourteen grand for the beehive mm. and the hot tub, um, and let's say that they pass that on to the suppliers and the manufacturers that they mm-hmm. don't have your money. Somebody has fourteen grand's worth of your money, and mm. probably is building your beehive and your hot tub. The receiver was suggesting that there is still a chance that that contract can be fulfilled and that you can get all of this if you pay the balance or a little bit more? 
and who's going to construct it? Yeah. Know that the company, I mean... I, I, tell, you, I tell you one thing, it would be better yeah. to take it and take the hit than lose the 14K. Mm. Yeah, but I mean, at this stage, we're, we're completely in the dark because at no point were any customers updated um, about any issues with... I suppose it's the, it's the complete lack of, of correspondence, the lack of communication and the lack of basic common respect for someone who's, you know, investing in a product. Um, all of the promises, the fake dawns, the false dawns, yeah, yeah, yeah. the, the yeah. mis... The, the, you put it much stronger, but let me just call it mistruths, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And I can, I can stand over what I'm saying, Neil. I have email after email after email. I mean, I was demented, ringing, ringing, ringing. I phone you back, you know, you get an email back then. I'm in a conference. Um, See, I imagine it takes over a lot of your life, doesn't it, for that length of time? Yeah, it does. It does. Um, It does. It's like a waking nightmare you described it as. It is, because you don't know where you are. Where did you get the 14 grand? Did you save it? I did, yeah. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so you so, probably worked and paid tax on it, so it's an awful lot I more did, than 14 absolutely. grand. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's probably 28 yeah, grand yeah. or 30 grand. Yeah. yeah. And the tax is paid in it. Yeah, so look, it's it's fine. Okay. I mean, there, there is, I recognise there is a process in place, and I don't envy the job of the receiver because I imagine, I, you know, I, I just suspect. Um, there's very little there's money any, in the bank account and yeah, there's very yeah, little stock yeah, there so of course there is you know um, the other thing when I spotted that they'd set up in Northern Ireland um, I rang the gentleman's number on the website and I asked him I said uh, I said who's your, your who's your MD and he said I don't know so I told him who his MD was so I said, you realise, what he said to me then, the gentleman called Craig, he said, oh, we had to take down our Facebook because we were getting a backlash from what's going on in the Republic. They and took I down their said, Facebook in Belfast yeah, because of the Northern backlash. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I said, uh, Craig, yeah. 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 he said they took down the web or their Facebook page um, and that they were in no way connected to the company okay. in in the republic. Okay. So okay. look, it's it's almost like it's it's like you know it's like watching a magician pulling things out of his sleeve. Um, but you will pursue while you have breath in your body, or something. Yeah. Okay. I will. Okay. I will. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm never one to give up on a fight, me. All right. Okay. And, well. and I'm sure the the individuals in question will at some point be setting up somewhere else under a fresh name. And, uh, you know, there'll be a lot of people. Well, interestingly, interestingly, yeah. you, you can do that. Companies liquidate, they go into receivership mm. and they liquidate. And those involved in it can, can set up another business. It's very different to going into being declared a bankrupt. I think you're, mm. you're sitting on the fence there for about five years after bankruptcy, I think. But mm. liquidation and, you know, off, off, off See, you go again. I, un- I understand that that happens. You know, it, I understand that companies go to the wall. The bottom line is the manner in which we were treated right up to the point of receivership. We were treated like dogs. Okay, and when you talk about hundreds of thousands of euro being owed, any ideas to how many people are involved? Um, Well, there's quite a few. To be honest, you know, I suppose we're we're off doing our our thing and, and, you know, supporting each other as well. Um, it's, It's not an easy situation to be stuck in. 
Um, and yeah, there's, there's, there's a nice handy size group now. I don't want to give you away too much. Okay. Okay. And, um, okay. You know, okay. we're 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 looking at. Um, I suppose we're looking at that people are always stronger together than individually. So that's what we're. And if there are others that are owed money. I imagine owed, there is. Yeah. yeah. And can they get in touch? Um, initially, when I put my number up on Trustpilot, I got a lot of calls from people who didn't want to. They were, they were literally broken from the whole process. And uh, they said, look, this happened to me. And I don't, I, I don't want to even give my name. Because they were afraid. Okay. Okay, that's yeah. sad. Yeah, they're afraid. They're yeah. totally they're stressed afraid out. Of, of, yeah. They're afraid of repercussions, and you know, or, or um, you know, keeping in mind that I I was threatened with defamation and all proceedings, which is no, which is no. I nice wish people wouldn't be afraid if they stick to the facts. Mm. You know, I wish yeah. they wouldn't be because if you have yeah. the facts and you are not telling lies, you have nothing to fear. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But I understand why there would, would be that's a nightmare for many so people I, I, in their life savings. I want to thank yourself, Neil, for, for giving us the, the time on this. Happy and to chat uh, with any of you, Suzanne. Yeah, Susanna, and you included. Well, I've had a few conversations right. with Seamus as well. And, okay. Um, so yeah, just thanks for everything. Okay, okay. Well, this yeah. is far from finished and uh, I'm going to keep a very close eye on it. But thank you for now, Susanna. Appreciate no it. Take care. €14,000 of a €28,000 order. For now, gone. Back after the break. Winner of two golds at the Imro Radio Awards 2022. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. And if you've been affected or have uh, money paid over in deposits, uh, do get in touch. Text 0868104106 because there is strength in numbers. But, you know, there's um, this is all to do with how much is available really at the end of the day and how much the receiver can actually put together and who gets priority. But it certainly seems, and one of our callers there is suggesting it could run to hundreds of thousands. Uh, with regards to another closure, and that's the unfortunate closure of household linens, I was in town on Saturday evening with my two friends. We're in our early 50s. Town was full of drug addicts and people sleeping in doorways. It was just one depressing sight. That was Saturday evening. I think a lot of the shops are closing because perhaps they're too expensive. When people want to get an example, pillows or duvets, they're going to Duns or Pennies because they are very, very cheap of the show, says Anne. Yes, and I heard in the news earlier on this morning some, some sale now that uh, pennies are, are starting where they're going to be giving things even away even, even cheaper. Big international company, I suppose. They have massive purchasing power. It's the likes of a small family business just would not have. Parts of the city, Anthony says, are turning into no-go areas and politi- politicians keep the same le- rhetoric that we have a safe country. Yeah, I heard Helen McEntee say that last week. Helen McEntee won't walk through Dublin at 10, and 10 o'clock at night, though, I'd say. How does she know what's going on in reality anyway? Crime comes into play at 12 years of age and this nonsense that they're too young to prosecute is just a ploy and it has to stop. Uh, morning. What happened to that American tourist is horrific and they should be locked up for a long, long time. The 14-year-old from Dublin may not be Irish, just like your statement last week on the Cork husband who murdered his wife. Not sure what you mean about me last week and the Cork husband who murdered his wife. I think you're referencing something that was probably posted online. It might have been on Facebook or Twitter or something that somebody wrote Uh, that it was um, Cork husband, even though he would have been a husband in Cork, but from India. I think that possibly 
I didn't write that. Uh, so it was, it was never me that said it was a Cork husband who murdered his wife. Uh, Helen McEntee is, and anyway, we can't even talk about it in that frame of mind because this is a an act of court case without identifying the case that you're talking about. Helen McEntee is living in a bubble land. Reform the legislation to allow under-16s to be charged as adults like they do in the USA and on all occasions name them. This also makes parents responsible. It's outrageous here, like everything else is outrageous here. The government needs to go, says Shiona. Yeah, the government needs to go. And, and then what? Just put in another bunch that does the same thing. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. Um, seeing a few texts actually coming in there, people asking, what was the make of the hot tub? What was the make of the hot tub? you were talking about before 11, we were talking about different ones, but if you're talking about one particular hot tub that we mentioned that never worked, that was a Mallorca Blackpool, uh, a Mallorca Blackpool, that was the name of it um, and it hasn't worked, so that's uh, the answer to that question for you um, Listen, it being Monday, Monday Munchies, courtesy of ourselves and Offbeat Donuts on French Church Street, so the first bunch of shoutouts, you need to text who you are and where you are and most importantly why you deserve all of these donuts to be delivered this lunchtime by Red Patrollers from Offbeat Donuts creating magic circles of obsession uh, up on French Church Street. So good morning to everybody at the Mercy Hospital, particularly Sinead who texted in. Tusla Aftercare Services, morning to you all. They said a sugar pick-me-up is welcome to get us through Monday. EMH Technical Services would love donuts today. Hard-working electricians on the site in Ballancolig and donuts go great with a cup of tea. It certainly do. Karen and her colleagues in the pharmacy department at the South Infirmary would share the donuts. They need a sugar boost today. Same with Damien from Foley's Plumbing. We had a great staff night out at the weekend and the donuts would go down a treat. To the clean room in Stryker in Tullagreen, looking for the Monday munchies. It's our colleague's 40th birthday. It would be a great way to celebrate, says Steve. Uh, to all of the girls in Cuddles Crash who are working hard, they want them because they just love donuts. To everybody working in the Bon Secours Hospital, particularly Lillian, working in reception, uh, they would love them, a hard-working team, and they listen to Red all of the time. To Pamela from Hickey's Pharmacy in Gronabraher, they could do with a sugary pick-me-up, exhausted from keeping all of the north side happy and healthy. Fair play to you. And just another few. To the lads and ladies... In bus, in bus, Aaron and Capwell, for a pick me up. Love the show. Listen every day. Keep up the good work. Thank you. AOC commercials and Carrick Tool, uh, who say that we'd get them going for the week ahead and get rid of the Monday blues. Um, to everybody who, well, they call themselves the Busy Bunnies at Suite Twenty Four. That's Lisa, Sharon, Grace, and Emer, and they'd share them with all of their colleagues as well in other businesses. Uh, ILC Dover in Blarney. No Monday blues, but it would be a great to get a bit of a sugar rush, says Elaine, in room eight. If we win in room eight, we'll share them with room seven. <laughs> I love that. I love that. All in your own little bunkers. O'Connell's butchers at the lock. I'm the only girl working with the boys again today. One, in, one man in particular is non-stop complaining about working in two degrees. He's got about seven layers of clothes on him. I think he needs a donut, and we need them for putting up with them, says Christine. I love that one as well. And the stroke unit at uh, the CUH would love donuts. They go above and beyond the call of duty and deserve a treat, says Val. Okay, so you've got 15 minutes to get your um, texts in. Who you are, 
where you are and most importantly why you deserve that Monday morning treat that picked me up. Do you know something? I just want to mention, I'll come back to calls a little later on, but a most amazing thing happened at the weekend. First, I was reading an article in The Telegraph on Saturday. We're talking about what makes the perfect pub. If you just bear with me now, my crazy ramblings. They were talking about, so, and it's a question for you. What would be a perfect pub, public house or bar? What would it have? Or more importantly, what wouldn't have? What wouldn't it have? Like there was a feature in the Telegraph that was saying, certainly it would be, the article was written by a guy called Christopher Howes, who was giving his impression of what would be the perfect pub for him. And it would be a pub with no phones, right? A bit like the high B, certainly when Brian was alive. So no phones, no swearing, and no children. Then when you drill into it a bit more as to the things that are in pubs that shouldn't be and things that aren't that should be, it includes, should there be a television? Should there be music? Should there be phones allowed, mobile phones? Should there even be a radio on? Should people be allowed to go in wearing workwear, like somebody comes off a building site, parched with the thirst and in they go, or a carpenter in overalls, or, you know, whatever kind of workwear? Should there be kids there? Should a pub really serve food or should it just do drink and let restaurants get on with food? Um, Should there be cursing allowed or there should be a ban on cursing or somebody who curses is kicked out? Some pubs have swear jars, for instance. Um, Was it a good or bad idea to get rid of smoking? Uh, It was a time when you could smoke inside in a pub. There was equally a time way back along when women couldn't go into pubs. And when they did, it had to be in the small little snugs. And there was a time as well when women weren't allowed to drink pints. They wanted a pint in a particular pub in Douglas. They wouldn't have been welcome. They were allowed to have a glass. So these are the kind of things. One thing that the article in the Telegraph was talking about was that there should always be a roaring, blazing fire. Maybe not in the middle of summer or the weather we're having now. Maybe there should be one in the summer too. So they're the kind of things, you know, what should be or shouldn't be featured in a pub. And I love that article because no sooner had I read it, as down in Port McGee, than the power went out, right? So we had no power for about two, two and a half hours. Now, this, we get power cuts all of the time and it plays havoc with anything you might have in the, in the freezer, right? But that's fine. It's a, a first world problem. Don't get me wrong there. But for the first time that I can remember, it also knocked out Mobile phones. So there was no phone coverage whatsoever. So there was no power, no light, no electricity. There was no Wi-Fi. There was no broadband. There was no mobile phones. So all of the networks went down. So it was complete, like, radio silence, if you like, for a better term. It was like if we were back a 100 years. But we were going out to eat down to the Fisherman's Pub. So then we went down because they, they cook with gas. So we went in there and... Um, it was still reasonably early. I think it was maybe around, I don't know, seven o'clock or whatever. But even at that stage, they had candles, little tea lights out on the table. So there was candles. There was no television on. There was no music. There was no um, sport on. There was no mobile phones ringing. There was no you know, sitting down scrolling, just aimlessly looking at their phones. Everybody was talking. There was lots of tourists in there. Normally, they'd all be in their own little groups or what have you. But on this occasion, for the space of the hour and a half, and there was a big cheer then when the power came back on around about half eight, quarter to nine. Uh, everybody was fed. Um, things were a little bit chaotic, obviously, because everything's in darkness apart from, apart from candles. But there was an incredible atmosphere. And the governor of the pub said to me, he said, it's the first time I've seen in such a long time everybody laughing, joking, talking. 
The locals, who are friendly anyway, were deep in conversation with the tourists, the Spaniards, the French, the Germans, the Americans, the English. The people sitting next to me were a bunch of people from uh, France and they saw us ordering um, a seafood platter for two and there were all questions. You know, I'm not saying that they wouldn't have asked questions if the TV was on or if mobile phones were there, whatever. It just changed the vibe completely. And for that hour and a half or so, it was just great fun. Uh, no distractions. And people were doing what people do best, and that is communicating with each other. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are. What would make the perfect pub? Where would, like, children or no children? Or maybe well-behaved children? Not quite sure you do with the badly behaved children in the pubs, but phones maybe? A ban? No cursing? Um, no workwear? I, I wouldn't go along with the workwear gear myself. I think anybody's entitled to go in as long as they're not kind of any way unhygienic um, to go in and have a pint after a hard day's work. But your thoughts, text 0868104106. Just food for thought. Thanks for bearing with me. Neil Prendeville, Gold Emerald Award winner for Speech Broadcaster of the Year. Cork's Red FM. Ah, uh, yeah, text coming in already. What would make the perfect pub? What would you allow? What would you disallow? Text 0868 104, 106, and I'll come back to it probably, uh, if not a little later on this morning, then certainly in the morning. Um, I was reading this morning a very powerful article uh, in the uh, Irish Independent. It involves the story of the life of uh, Stephen Crowley. Um, in fact, Stephen Crowley had had enough of his life. And let me just mention uh, also that I will give out um, some uh, contact numbers for those of you that might yourselves be suffering with regards to um, you know thoughts about not wanting to be here anymore. Uh, this story centres around the work of AWARE, who are always available on 1-800-80-48-48, 1-800-80-48-48. So I'm talking and just letting you know that uh, parts of our conversation are of a sensitive nature. With that in mind, can I speak directly, if you don't mind, to the man himself, Stephen Crowley. Stephen, good morning. Hang on a second, I've got my phone line sorted here. There you are, Stephen, can you hear me now? Hi, Neil. How are you? Uh, good. Listen, thank you so much. It's not the easiest thing in the world to share your story, but I, I do appreciate you taking the time to do so because it's a powerful story. Um, and if I start close to the end and come back to the start, you were at a point in your life where you no longer wished to go on. Um, and then it was a phone call you received from an occupational health nurse who picked up on your struggle and said, Stephen, I'm worried about you. I'm concerned. Are you planning to take your own life? Are you planning suicide? And those wor words, apparently, was like getting a belt from a hurley. Do you mind if we wind back, though, to the, to, the, to the incredible pain, physical pain that you were in, as a result of what? Um, so I suppose basically what has happened, I had a fall off of the ladder and I had done damage to my Achilles tendon. So... Um, the conclusion with the consultants and medical profession was that they needed surgery to correct it. Um, but during that surgery, something went wrong where I was left in uh, immense physical pain on a constant basis. And uh, the conclusion was that maybe there was nerve damage done. Um, so whatever you went into with surgery, you came out of it with intoler intolerably more pain? Yes, no, the, 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 you know, the surgery to fix the problem, fixed it, but I was left in pain. And I suppose um, physical pain can be very draining, um, especially prolonged. And I suppose, you know, it, it went from becoming 
uh, intense physical pain to intense mental pain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you start to question a lot in your life. Oh, yeah. And yeah. when you're living with pain constantly, it's very hard to describe to people. Um, but it becomes more burdensome every day um, to the point of where um, the mental pain starts to take over. And I suppose I got to a point of where that physical pain was outmatched with the mental pain, the thoughts I was having, the, 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 the mental torture I was doing to myself, to the point of I began to accept and could live with the physical pain, but I couldn't. Um, I, I, I wanted the mental pain to stop, but I didn't know how to stop it. You, you, you found yourself in substantial pain in every part of your body. Uh, clearly, you weren't yeah. working and couldn't work because, y- yeah. you know, just the pain was intolerable. Were, were you medicated for it, though? Um, did you get any relief yeah. from it or was it beyond relieving? Um, I suppose th- there was a number of things tried. I was on uh, quite heavy pain medication. I was on um, these medicated patches. I was brought into hospital once a month to be put on a morphine drip just to get relief from it. Um, and I suppose, you know, I, the, the morphine was probably the best. It, it gave me the sense of relief, but that pain was constantly there. Okay. Um, and, and I suppose, you know, maybe to put things in perspective, you know, um, being a man with a young family and, you know, working and, and having an active life, all of a sudden not being able to do any of these things, you know, um, I worked on shift with uh, 20 other male colleagues, you know, I played rugby, played soccer, so very male-dominated environment, very team-based, so, you know, I was felt part of a group and team. Um, but when something like this happens, you know, um, in the early days, everybody rallies around and they're supporting you through the, the physical pain and stuff like that. But then quite slowly, everybody gets on with their life. Um, you know, they, they get on with the work, they get on with team sports and stuff like that. And, and all of a sudden you find yourself very isolated, um, you know, when, when you can't work and you're at home 24-7. And you see everyone else getting on with their lives, you start to question yourself. Yeah. You start to doubt your capability, yeah. um, your contribution to the family and to life. And and that all that all is on top then again of the, the, the physical and the mental pain that you're going You've through. You've just answered the question I was asking, how how does it come about this overburdening um of the physical pain with the mental psychological aspect? You've answered that. Was yeah. w- w- were you put on antidepressants? Yes, I was put on I was put on a pain medication which required antidepressants anyway. Um, it was kind of a nerve um, uh, medication which, because of the side effects of that, required an antidepressant. But then, because of that particular antidepressant, it required a further medication to combat the side effects of that. And, um, you know, at one point I said in the article there about, you know, I I was on crutches. I wasn't very mobile at the time. And Sue, my wife at the time, was heading out shopping. I remember being at the kitchen table. um, She had got me the examiner. I was reading it. And um, she said she was heading off. And next thing I looked again and I said, haven't you gone yet? And she said, I've been gone for the last few hours. Um, I had no recollection of it. And, and at that stage, I knew, OK, this, this, there's something seriously wrong here um, with the medication. 
Um, and in fairness, my GPs, you know, uh, with the only real medical centre, Emer, Vivian and Caroline were fantastic through all of this. But at the same time, I never opened up about my mental pain. Or as you say, the, you never opened up about the noise in your head. Yeah. yeah. And like it's, it's very hard to describe that to people even now. It's so overpowering and overburdening. And, you know, we are our own worst critics in our own mind. And when you're having thoughts like that and, and when they become very um, when they become very dangerous, when they become very dark, there's no ratifying those thoughts. There's no way to um, ratify them when you keep them in your head because your brain makes logic of them. It makes sense of them, you know, and, and you, you really beat up on yourself and, and it, it becomes a very dark place. Yeah, a dark place where you couldn't reach out or tell people how you were feeling, no? No, I, I suppose the, the way I looked at it at the time, I felt, you know, this is only me. Um, I, I must be the only one going through this. I'm a failure. Um, I can't even deal with something simple. I can't even do the simple things in life. So these thoughts... I can't work, I can, can't provide. I have a young family, I can't kick a ball. Yeah. yeah. They multiply and multiply and multiply to the point of where, you know, the, the, this voice becomes so overburdening that you feel that if you have to try and stop it. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'm in a position now to know better. The only way in the end that you felt you could stop it was to stop everything. Now, Aware have asked me not to go into the details of what you had planned, yep. and, and rightly so, they should say that. Uh, so I'm not going to dwell on any of that for obvious reasons. However, you certainly had planned it. Um, you had, um, I won't say any more than driven out to check for a quiet time and a quiet place and were about to write a goodbye note, I believe. Yeah, um, look, uh, you know, it, 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 I, I was trying to stop the pain and in my head this was the only logical way to do it. As I said, in my head, and, and I'll get to that in, in a while. So I, I, with the thought of being able to finally stop the voices, I came at peace with that decision that was in my head. And I decided what I wanted to do, and, and I was going writing a note to, you know, maybe explain to people, um, you know, because I, I, I didn't want to, to burden people. And, you know, to be honest, the way I felt at the time and isolated, I didn't think anyone would actually miss me if I, if I, if I did go. Um, but you have five but, children. Did, you know, you were so gone beyond, you didn't know that you'd have five children who'd be heartbroken. When, when you're in that dark place, um, you don't even have time to think about those around you. Sure, I know. There, yeah. there isn't space in your head, you know. It, it becomes so overburdening and dark that, you know, you're not sleeping, you can't even think straight, even trying to make a cup of tea, you can't uh, coordinate that because the, the thoughts are so overpowering with regard to beating yourself up. Um, and it, it's it's very hard for people to understand that, but, but it does become very overburdening. You, you, um, mentioned, you mentioned when you had decided you were at yeah. peace. Uh, can I ask you, are there other emotions besides peace because you know now what you wish to do? Is there fear? There, There's a huge amount of fear, um, unbelievable fear. Um, but it, it, in your mind, it makes logical sense that, okay, I've decided to do this, this will stop the, the, the mental torture, okay, and I, I, I don't have another choice. That, that's how bad our thoughts can get and how deceiving our thoughts can get in situations like that. You were just getting ready to 
write the note, I believe. Am I right? And the phone yeah. and the phone rang. Yeah. Um, uh, periodically, every now and again, I, I get a phone call from the occupational health nurse in work just to see how I was doing. And I suppose, you know, it, it, just to put that in perspective, phone calls like those were like gold. Um, for the simple reason is that you become so isolated from your friends and your normal activities that you relish any bit of contact, even though you mightn't reach out. Uh, I don't think people realize um, how important it is to, to keep contact with people, you know, that would be in a social circle or stuff like that. Um, but on this particular day, um, the, the occupational health nurse rang. Um, she said, hi, Stephen, I'm just checking in. And we were having a conversation on the, the, the phone. I felt from my perspective that I had everything in order in so far I was very controlled what I was saying to her on the phone. Um, but whatever way I was answering the questions and whatever way I was talking, um, she picked up on it and, and she asked me out straight. She said, Stephen, I, I, I'm a bit concerned. You know, are you planning on taking your own life? Are you planning suicide? And, you know... I don't think there are words powerful enough to describe the emotional feeling that comes over you when someone says that. Um, the whole realization of what I was about to do um, came forth. Um, it's 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 an overwhelming experience. Um, when that realization of what I was to do, as I said, my brain had rationalized it, but when I had heard someone actually physically say it it became, it took on a different meaning altogether. And I suppose that fear uh, that you spoke about earlier, while there was a bit of fear there, it wasn't, it wasn't a fear like this, uh, that, that realization of what I was to do was just so overburdening. Um, I couldn't even talk. I, I just broke down crying, um, uncontrollable, inconsolable crying. Um, I fell to my knees on the ground. Um, Sue had come in downstairs um, she'd heard the thoughts, heard me bawling, came up. Um, I couldn't even talk or explain what was going on. She could see I was on the phone. Um, she got very fearful and started crying at me. She's never seen me like this. And uh, eventually, when it came true, I was able to tell her um, what had happened, you know, and, and what I had intended on doing. And we had a good cry again. Um, and I suppose as a partner, um, she gave out to me. Um, I suppose in a way she felt betrayed that I felt I couldn't open up to her. Um, but, I, you know, when you're going through that, you don't want to be burdening anyone else. Mm. Um, and I suppose that was the, the, the turning point for me. Um, you know, once I was able to open up to Sue, we were able to put things in place to, to, to start my recovery. That, that involved then sharing the situation you found yourself in. And I think, Sue, I mean, I think it's incredibly astute of that um, occupational health nurse at work to pick up like she did. She's an incredibly yep. s- smart woman yep. to be able to pick up on that, you know? An angel. Yeah. An angel and, then, and, then, and then Sue then started to tell family members, am I right? Yeah. Um, Sue started to say, you're not in this alone. We're in this together and, and we're going to look at this and see what we can do and get help. But right now we need family around us. Um, and she was so right. Um, so I, I did feel embarrassed um, about it. Uh, you know, I, I felt foolish because, you know, you'll be all these senses come up. But then once I started to talk, I realized, oh, my God, this is so powerful. 
I, 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 you know, and, and it wasn't that I was looking for feedback from people. The fact I was able to verbally express what was going on for me, it helped me rationalize what I was going through and it helped me rationalize the steps I could mm, take. Mm. Um, so that was a very powerful experience and, and made such a difference. But what about the physical pain, though? Yeah, um, the, the physical pain was going on uh, further. Um, I suppose if I look at it, I'm still not 100% today. Um, but, you know, that, that that's okay. I'm in a good place. Um, the physical pain, uh, once I was able to deal with the mental pain mm-hmm. and I was able to get support for that, it was easier for me then to go back and go to the medical profession and explain things a bit further. And did they, um, they, they looked at your case differently in the sense that, I think there might have been an infection on the on the spine or something. Different medication, yeah. Look, like, I, yeah, I suppose um, led the, to the, the, to the, cripple, the crippling pain was diminished. Was it? It it wasn't so diminished. It was still there. It was still quite profound. But I suppose um, you know, I I mentally wasn't in a place to deal with the medical profession and to explain myself uh, as thoroughly. And, and once I suppose I got myself in a good place mentally, I was then in a position to go back to the medical profession and maybe um, highlight things. And, and this is no disrespect to anybody, but um, I just felt in certain situations in the medical profession, they were trying to treat what they thought was the issue rather than listening to what I had explained. And I think when I went back, I was in a better position to help them listen to me and based on that, then they were able to narrow it down further. Um, it was actually a professor of orthopedics in uh, Sheffield um, that highlighted what potentially was the problem based on results and stuff of tests that were sent to them. And based on that, then there was a course of action which made a huge difference to my life, um, which got rid of the uh, overriding uh, constant pain. And all I had left then was uh, local pain. Um, so that made such a difference. But again, you know, it, it, I had the confidence to be able to explain myself. Mm. Um, when I was mm. going through it earlier, I just didn't. I was going into uh, meetings with medical professionals and I just wasn't in the place to, 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 to talk about it. And I suppose they were summarizing based on what they physically saw in front of them or, or from the results. So. Yeah. D- did you use the services of the likes of AWARE or the Samaritans or organizations like that? If I'm being very honest, I didn't because I didn't know organizations like that existed. Um, you know, um, I'd have always done work for charity and stuff like that, but never gave real credence to what these organizations did or how powerful they can be in people's lives. Um, but I suppose once I had come through my own experience, um, I, I wanted again, and I got myself in a strong mental position, I wanted to give something back. I wanted to help people understand that they're not alone in this like I thought I was. Um, And that, you know, there is help there. And and just talking uh, alone about your problem can be enough to help you on a road. So do you you now meet with with people who've gone through similar story, not that anybody's story is the same, but issues regarding, say, depression or disorders like that or suicidal thoughts? Do you talk with people about that? Um, yes, so I suppose what I did, Neil, is after that experience, um, I, I wanted to give something back. So I saw an ad for an organization looking for people to be trained as facilitators for a mental health organization. I didn't know I was aware at the time. Um, I said, look, I have a bit of time to give, I'll get back. So 
I answered that ad, which was about 13 years ago, and um, it happened to be aware, and I got trained up as a, a, a face-to-face facilitator for support groups. And those support groups um, were run in Cork on a Tuesday and Thursday night where people could come in um, into a, a supported environment with two trained facilitators. And, you know, they, they could just open up and talk about how they were feeling or how they were coping. And I'll be very honest with you, um, that was probably and still is one of the most powerful experiences I've had in life. Um, and, and the reason for that is there's something magical about a, a group of people um, when someone comes together and they share their experience and automatically other people in the group can say, that's my story. Yeah. You're, you're sharing my yeah, story. I can imagine I don't that. Think people yeah. realise how how common this is and, and how shared an experience it is. But to come into a support group like that can be such a powerful thing. Um, and yeah, I, I've, I've stayed as a support group facilitator with AWARE um, over those years. And That's an amazing um, comeback. That's an amazing are, are, are comeback. Yeah, because it's like AWARE provided me with some alarming statistics. They say that one in 10 people under the age of 25 are experiencing depression. Uh, they say that three in five people are impacted by depression and, and, and sometimes very, very deep depression, and it's impacted by money worries. They also say that two in five of, of at least the people they speak with delay getting any kind of help or opening up because they fear shame, embarrassment, or fear of judgment. Um, but that there's nothing to be ashamed of. I mean, you talk quite openly now, so you, you kind of get that, don't you? I, I get that. You know, I, I, I can say to anybody listening out there, um, this is a shared experience. Um, we all go through struggles at certain times. There's absolutely no shame in, in seeking help or support. And there's plenty of people who are there to, to, to help, you know, and, and listen. But it's so important to talk. That talking alone is, is, is such, um, it makes such a difference in circumstances like this. Um, you know, if you, if you look at the, the World Health Organization, they say you can't have good physical health without good mental health and vice versa. Um, but unfortunately, we're in a society where there's um, a bias, I suppose, towards the physical health. Um, but mental health is so important and, and to seek support is the first step in, in, in getting down that road and, you know, finding yourself in a safe, uh, protected environment where you can open mm. up without mm. fear of um, being judged or yeah. questioned. Yeah. And that's such a powerful space. So now you must look at life very differently. Um, you know, how precious it is um, being surrounded by a loving yeah. family that you almost lost because you saw another way out. And indeed, you, you mentioned earlier on that you felt that, you know, nobody would miss you, that you were a burden, that um, that this was the only line open to you. God almighty, you came so close to not even being talking to me this morning. Do you look at life differently now? Yeah, um, you know, when I look back at that time, I still get quite emotional. I, I still, those those feelings come up, that fear of what I, I could have done, what I could have missed out on. Like when I look back in, in on, on the last 13 years and, and all the magical experiences I've had in life and with family and watching them grow and experience this, I, I'd have missed all that. And, and like, it, it's so valuable. Um 
it's yes, I have a different outlook in life. I suppose at that stage, my my, my outlook was you know making sure I had a job, pay the bills, and stuff like that. But when you go through an experience like that, um, living is the most important thing, and and having those life experiences, you know, uh, um, bringing a, a new child into our world as part of a family, seeing them grow, seeing the various experiences, uh, celebrating life with family, birthdays, and stuff like that, making time to do things mm. collectively and together. Um, there's so many important things in life. Um, everything else becomes secondary, you know. So um, what message would you like to give to people who could be, or indeed may have a family member that is struggling now like you were then? What I would say is, for those people who are struggling themselves, don't be afraid to speak out. Um, I was, and I nearly ended up doing something which would have been detrimental. I now know the benefit of speaking out. For family members... What I would say is don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to ask someone how they're doing. You know, as an Irish culture, we always say, you know, how are you, how are things, and people will go, I'm grand, I'm great. You need to go back a second time, no, how are you really doing? Yeah, yeah. And and that just opens the door that bit more for someone to maybe um, say something or maybe not say something. And sometimes the not saying something is enough for you to know something's up. And do you think that men are slower to open up than women? Oh, 100%. Um, now, in saying that, I think the younger generation coming through, um, I think they're more open and they're more willing to discuss what's burdening them. But maybe my generation, um, yeah, I, I believe that men are quite slow of my generation to actually open up. But... If they come into an environment like I've seen in the aware support groups, um, they, you know, um, they really open up. They find that, oh, my God, look, this is a very supportive group. I can talk about this. Yeah, I know. But yeah, we live in such challenging times now, don't we, in so many different ways. It's just so challenging yeah, for people it, trying it to navigate is, through. It's quite challenging. Yeah. Listen, Stephen, I'm so grateful to you. I don't know you, uh, but you're the kind of guy that I'd like to know. So thank you for taking the call. It's been... Thank you. Amazing your journey and coming back from where you did to where you find yourself now. Um, let it let it be a wake up call for people that might need a little bit of help to pick up the phone and perhaps call the likes of Aware on one eight hundred eighty forty eight forty eight. Good luck to you and your beautiful family, Stephen. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Regards to you all down in Carrigaline, the Crowley family. Um, anyway, the aware number, lads, one eight hundred eighty forty eight forty eight. Don't be afraid to open up, he says. And for others, then don't be afraid to ask somebody how they really are. Back after the break. The number one talk show in Cork. If it's happening in Cork, Neil is talking about it. The Neil Prendeville Show on Red FM. Okay, share your own stories if you'd like to do so. You can always email neil at redfm.ie. Big shout out this morning for the huge success of Alison Bergen, who came second in the world under 23 Skull Championships. Not a mention on the RTE news about the Irish success. We had a gold medal winner also in the men's. Thank you to Alison uh, sorry, whoever sent that in, Alison is a Fromoy girl herself, so congratulations and well done. With regards to people who have lost lots of money, and um, I don't mean to the, be the harbinger of uh, doom, uh, but the chances of getting it back, I think, will get slimmer by the day. I feel so awful for all those people caught up with Cabana, but I will say this, I know the shop is closed now, but if you ever have an issue like this with any company... There is no use calling them on the phone or sending emails or texts or letters. You must confront people face to face. It's the only way. You need to stand in front of people 
uh, and there would be a greater chance of getting answers in any situation like that. Even if you're doing something like handing in a CV into a business, don't just email or post. Go in and do it in person. The personal approach at all times is so, so important. Thank you for that. It is good words of advice. Uh, you need to eyeball people um, and sometimes uh, emails and texts uh, won't be responded to or it's much easier to ignore an email or a text. Not somebody sitting in reception, as the fella says. I think the Women's World Cup is shocking, says Joe. All I can see when there's a break in the play is players fixing their ponytails. I know a couple of men do that, but it's just gone ridiculous. Next now we will see a referee carrying a mirror for them, says Joe. Um, I was just chatting with Claire about this and she correctly makes the point. Um, it's probably because their hair has fallen loose while running around the pitch, which is understandable. Yeah, just like how it happens with men who might have long hair. It just so happens that more women have long hair, so it's more common in a woman's football game. But nothing should be read into about that. They just have longer hair that they need to keep out of their way to play. Um, she suggests that maybe people should focus more on the play than the small things like adjusting ponytails. That's what I say to you, girl. That's what I say to you. However, um, even Jack Grealish is forever fixing his hair because he has a long fringe and it gets in his eyes. Why aren't people complaining about that? Uh, anyway, Joe, having said that, thanks for your text all the same. Uh, text 0868104106. Last bunch of shout-outs from Monday Munchies. Power haulage are desperate for a feed of donuts because we love them. Harvey Norman and Little Isla are in touch. Would you please give the donuts to my daughter and their work colleagues in Harvey Normans? They're a great bunch. And my two girls are fantastic working in the photo centre in Little Island. Another one then for Charlotte. Um, it's working in UCC. She loves offbeat donuts nearly more than me, says John. It's our fifth anniversary today. And a final one for Flextronics in Holly Hill. The lads in the warehouse need the sugar to get them moving on a Monday. And the ladies in the office deserve them for putting up with them every day. Um, so there you go. Win-win situation there. So we'll pick a winner for um, uh, Offbeat Donuts in about five or ten minutes' time. For what time I have left this morning, can I just mention, we were talking a lot about temperatures and what's going on in Rhodes and indeed Spain and indeed Italy and generally in Greece and perhaps to an extent also in Turkey. Somebody reminds me that... Um, I'm not saying, Neil, that climate change isn't real. I'm just highlighting that there's a lot of scaremongering going on at the moment. If you check the recorded facts and they sent me a screen grab of some temperatures around the world going way back where Austria once had 40.5 degrees in 2013, Belarus at 39 degrees in 2010, Bulgaria had 45 degrees in 2016, uh, Finland had 37 degrees in 2010, there's loads of them here, Ireland had 33.3 degrees in 1887, in Kilkenny by all accounts, um, other ones then included Poland, who had 40 degrees in 1921, uh, Spain had 47.6 degrees in 2021. Need I go on? That's just a selection. There's a few dozen of them um, saying that this is scaremongering. There has been and will continue to be very high temperatures in all sorts of parts of the world. And it's not going to change. Um, maybe it's just being reported more, do you think? Or we have more access to this kind of information? I don't know. Anyway, uh, big weekend. Um, we had... Um, the release of Barbie and Oppenheimer, commonly known now as Barbenheimer, 
Um, who went to one, who went to the other, who went to both. Our own Kelly Murphy from the Red FM newsroom certainly went to Barbie. I'm not sure as to whether she went to Oppenheimer. Let's find out. Kelly, good morning. Morning, Neil. How are you? So, did you do Barbie or did you do both? Did you do the Barbenheimer? I didn't do the Barbenheimer. I just went to Barbie, but I will go to Oppenheimer as well. Okay, so I'll report your report back at that point in time. Although I have a feeling I'll probably be going to Oppenheimer myself over the next few days. But not Barbie. But do you think I should go to Barbie? I do think you should go to Barbie, Neil. I think if you want a bit of a lift, it's going to be completely different from Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer (laughs) is more... And you're going to learn a lot. And it'll be fantastic acting. But Barbie is so good, Neil. Like, you really... No, I I just laugh because it will be very different to Oppenheimer, for sure. I'm not not looking down my nose now on people who go to Barbie. But um, Mm -hmm. Barbie is um, a doll that lives in a pink world that they're making a movie out of. So unless you were into Barbie the doll, why would you want to go to the movie? That is really... Yeah, that is a fair point. But it's actually just quite funny and entertaining. So I don't think you have to be into the Barbie just to go see it. Were you into Barbie? Do you have a Barbie doll or a Barbie playhouse or a Barbie Ken or any of these things? I did, but I would have been more into like Disney. I wouldn't have said I was a strictly, you know, obsessed with Barbie kind of person. But I did kind of enjoy it. I did. I do remember having a Barbie dream house when I was younger. But I think I grew out of that phase quite quickly and was more into Disney after that. But even though I wouldn't have said I was like as a Barbie fanatic, like some girls had like every Barbie doll. I wouldn't have been that okay. that extreme. Okay, so you don't have to be a Barbie fanatic. How much of the storyline can you tell us without me being accused of spoiling it? So yeah, I am quite concerned of spoiling, so I'm going to try not to give away too much. But it is, and it's already known, it is about feminism. So like Ruth Handler invented Barbie because her daughters were playing with, you know, like baby dolls, kind of like a baby born. And her sons were playing with action men and they had all these different careers like astronauts and doctors. And her, she felt her daughters didn't have those same options. So that's why she created Barbie. And I no, think, she wasn't motivated at all by money, no? I mean, there was probably that perk to it, Neil. They were toy makers at the end of the day. Her husband was a toy maker in a joint and they owned Mattel, the business. But it was, she brought the idea to them because she wanted her daughters to have more options. And to empower. Barbie, okay, it was about empowering young girls. Exactly. And there's, it, she made a point that Barbie wasn't never going to be married or never have kids because she wanted it just to be about career and women being that they can have any option. And they so along came a load of different Barbie dolls that had Barbie in different careers. Is is that it? Yeah, exactly. So like, you know, when I think of Barbie, there's like Barbie's an air hostess or Barbie is a doctor or Barbie is, you know, a news reporter. There's loads of different dolls, um, yeah. way, dolls and loads of different, you know, there's a doll and you can put different costumes on them and make them the kind of different thing. Okay, I'm and getting a clearer know, picture. So so Barbie, because there was no Barbie in, in our house. My daughter wasn't into Barbie, but so she wasn't always pink then. No, no, she wasn't always pink and Margot Robbie's costumes in it are, you know, completely different. Um, there are elements of pink and that is a, a big thing because I think obviously from a marketing perspective for kids, you, you know, they incorporate pink into girls and we don't we like pink, so that's fine as well. But it's kind of like you can do anything and you can still do it, you know, 
in a dress and heels. So I okay. think that's the okay. kind of answer. Okay, so there is a message in this. And is it, does Barbie move out of the Barbie world and get a terrible fright when she comes into, do they move into the real world herself and Ken, is it? Absolutely. They go into the real world and they get a kind of serious shock. And not giving away too much spoilers, but, you know, they, they kind of try and incorporate that into the Barbie world and it doesn't really... And it's just about how it works and how it yeah, goes Yeah, fair play to you because of the spoiler alert. I appreciate that, in fairness, Kelly. But I hear that Ken steals the show, that that really he, he's, the, he, he's, the, he's the, 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 the power behind the film. Is that right? I think Ken, it starts and, you know, Ken is Barbie's sidekick, if you think about it. And one of the taglines that I watched in a clip of Ryan Gosling before it came out, it said, there's no Ken without Barbie. So it's kind of about Ken trying to take that power back and and them kind of compromising on how they're going to make it work. Or is it world. more that Ryan Gosling steals the show? You say he's absolutely brilliant in it. I thought he was so funny. Like a lot, I would say there, I want to watch it again because there were actually a lot of points in the film when everyone was laughing so much that I didn't catch like the full line. And it was just his kind of portrayal of the character as well was just amazing. Are they in a relationship like Ken and Barbie? Um... The, that's actually unclear from start to fit. I think, I think uh, Ken thinks they are at the start, um, and then Barbie's kind of not sure. So yeah, I'm not going to give. I'm not I know, give I know. We better we better leave it there before I dig a big hole that I won't be able to get out of. Tell me about the age profile at the film that you, when you went to it. How, how old were people? So it is, it's 12A, I believe, Jen. Um, so, but I would take kids and there was um, a boy in front of me with his parents and I would say he was about nine and he seemed to be loving it. So why wouldn't it be PG? Be, there are references in it, but I think that would go over a child's, a child's head. Right. A bit like the pantomime, you bring the kids along, but there's like there's like two pantomimes going on, you know, the ones the adults get and the ones the kids don't get, you know what I mean? Do you know what, exactly, my friend turned to me during it at the very start and he said, Kelly, this is like panto, it's exactly like panto. Okay, okay, so, so do a Rotten Tomatoes for me on 100% or less, what would you give it? I'm actually going to like... I'm going to give it 99 because, <laughs> you know, you never give it, you never give it a full hundred. You never know. They never give it a full hundred on Rotten Tomatoes. But I do think it was great. And I thought it was really well cast. Like Margot Robbie's not the only Barbie. She's the stereotypical Barbie. There's a really diverse cast all over in it and every type of Barbie's in there. And I thought it was great. There's a lot of American ones. There's British ones. It's it's great. All yeah. right. You've won, you've won Barbie. half of Barbenheimer done. Um, 99 out of 100. That certainly is a serious thumbs up, Kelly Murphy. Thank you for that. Fair play to you. <laughs> Thanks very much, Neil. Talk again. You Cheers. And the other one is now. Absolutely. Bring it on. Yeah. Bring on Oppenheimer yeah. and the great Killian Murphy. Thank you for that. Um, I'm watching I'm watching um, The Bear at the moment. I don't know, is anybody watching it season two? Um, it's all there. And the problem is I end up watching episode after episode after episode. It, for me, is I don't know the actors in it. Um, there's one special episode in it, though, where loads of heavy hitters... Are you watching it, Claire, the bear? I watched season one and oh. I'm really looking forward to season two. 
isn't it? It's just incredibly powerful television, it isn't is. it? It's so intense. And I, I worked in hospitality before. Um, so I, I wasn't working in a kitchen. I was more front of house. But like the way that they're able to kind of really show the stress or just how a kitchen works and everything like that is amazing. It's, yeah, it's really close to the dynamics life. of the family. Mm. And season two, I won't give anything no, away. Don't. But there's no, don't, one, no, don't. Because I on. sat down to watch one episode and I, I like... 20 to 1 this morning I had to stop and say listen you've had to go to bed and, and you just, know people say like oh they're only half an hour because a lot of yeah, you know, shows it's much easier 45, to work 50. with watch them when they're half an hour yeah and so they're the much easier one. to go to the next there one is, the next there's one. an episode right in the middle it's okay. well over an hour long oh okay and a load of huge Hollywood heavy hitters feature in this one episode because okay. they revisit the family dynamics of 10 years ago. I, I don't want to be giving anything away. That was very mysterious in the first season. Like They that they were only kind of given small glimpses into that, oh, so I'd be looking forward television. to how they do that now. If you're not watching it, guys, it's please so good. Really uh, good. take a note on my book and Claire's as well. Watch The Bear. Season 1 is there, and they've just downloaded the entire Season 2. Lines to stay open. You can text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. And our Monday Munchie winners for this week, courtesy of ourselves and Offbeat Donuts on French Church Street is Lillian and all of the staff at the Bon Secours Hospital. She's working in reception. She says, my colleagues and I would love to win the donuts. We're a very hard-working team. There'll be upwards of 50 donuts there, Lillian, so I'm sure that you'll be able to give it to lots of the other hard-working staff around the Bon Secours Hospital. Good morning to you all. Enjoy it. The Red Patrollers will deliver it at lunchtime. And thank you for listening to Cork's Red FM. I've been up there on a couple of occasions recently and the radio is always on and you won't meet a bunch of nicer people. So, Bonsigours this morning, uh, offbeat donuts on the way. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.